0: VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly.
1: Well, not Patty. Good morning. Thanks for tuning into the program. It's Friday, May the 20th. This is Open Line. I am Brian Callahan filling in for Patty Daly today, along with David Williams, who is producing the program through the big pane of glass back there. If you're in the St. John's metro area, 273-5211, 273-5211, you know the number, or elsewhere, toll-free long distance, one eight 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 that is 8626. So, Paddy is off today, and boy, picked a dandy one, and I am sure he's going to make the most of what, miraculously, really, enough, promises to be just a beautiful Victoria Day weekend, right across the island, up into the big lands, sunny and warm, warmer tomorrow, Today bit of a blip on Sunday, I think, maybe a few showers, maybe possible into Mon. no, but look, then up Monday, low 20s, woohoo, loves me a bit of vitamin D for sure, for the body and the brain, so if you're filthy rich and can afford to fill up and drive to the cabin or wherever you likes to get away to, it looks like it'll be worth it, and I don't know if it's a bit of goodwill or what on the part of the public utilities board, but gas is down this morning, 10 cents a Great. litre. And get this, diesel is down by, wait for it, 41 cents. Furnace oil down 36 cents. Stove oil down almost 70 cents in Labrador. It's all on the VOCM website. Oh, so all you cynics who cry foul when they raise the price before a long weekend? Crickets. Crickets. So a bit of a drop before the May 2-4. Not enough to scrap the review of the Public Utilities Board review, by the way. Uh, to scrap that review. But, because uh, if you look up, it's still $2.00. 18 cents here in St. John's Day, I think. Anyway, you want to talk gas prices? I am pumped for that. I know. Grown. And I know um, Harbour Grace Don, Mayor Don Coons was on the show yesterday about this. It was uh, 90 years ago, 1932. 34-year-old Amelia Earhart sets out from Harbour Grace, first woman to fly nonstop solo across the Atlantic the story well-known now, you know, she was supposed to fly to Paris, or that was the intended destination, but after almost 15 hours, strong winds, icy conditions, mechanical, oh my God, read through it, some of the stuff she went through to get across. Can you imagine? I, I, I can't, can't get my head around it, but she landed on a pasture, luckily enough, not on a freeway or anything, no freeways then, in Northern Ireland, and when a farm hand asked if she'd, if she'd flown far, she said, yep, from America, from America. So big day today for Harbour Grace all weekend, kick off their annual, kick off their annual, kick off our come-home celebrations, but specifically in Harbour Grace today. Going to recreate the whole thing leading up to the flight. Got actors and the whole deal out there, so if you can get out there, sounds like a good time. Did you see the iceberg off Twillingate in Little Harbour there? I'm I'm, I'm loath to, to, you know, sometimes photos can be older than they look, but uh, I'm pretty sure it said this week, and it's in Little Harbor near Twillingate. If you've ever been out there, I saw it somewhere on social media. It's funny. I just happened to stay right next to that cabin, uh, in a cabin next to where that picture was taken years ago. Wow. I know there were concerns about less of them around this year, about uh, icebergs. But holy, what it, what they lack in number, from what I've seen so far anyway, they're making up in size. Tourists and locals loving that. Anyway, I'm as shocked as anyone that they got me doing this today and uh, that Five minutes in, and still no one's come in and escorted me out yet. So I'll keep going. But just to, to put you at ease, I'm told it's just for today. No panic, please. Uh, Patty should be, will be back next week. So there are a ton of things on the go, topics to talk about, multitude, really. Too many to get into. Uh, you can go on the VOCM website. but And a few I don't really want to get into because they're gross. Monkeypox. I don't know if you're looking. I'm reading up on monkeypox. I'm not going to get into the description of it, but there are some cases. It's not. Uh, it's not COVID, but it's uh, it's transmissible and it's pretty yucky. Um, and then there's the Huawei 5G. They will not be uh, getting access to uh, setting up and overseeing 5G services here in Canada, and we can talk about that if you want. And Canada-China relations, to say the least. So I've got a couple of things uh, before we open up. Okay, Dave? I almost feel obligated to ask, how are we doing on the phones, Dave? <laughs> all right, I'll try to keep the pattyisms to a minimum, but it's hard to when you got it on all the time, which any good reporter should, any good person should, really, because you never know when news is going to break on this show. And God knows there is no shortage, as I mentioned, of news out there. And let's all try to keep the bad news to a minimum this long May 24th weekend. You know, it looks like it's just going to be off the charts, dandy, and we're all dying to get out and back to normal. And that will mean, you know, distractions, accidents, although some people don't use the word accident, the A word they call it, because too many of these things are preventable. And there will be injuries and probably even deaths because we know it happens. So I don't mean to preach or be a Debbie Downer, but before you go out at something the weekend, especially if you had a few, stop for that one second and just ask, what are the chances? What chance am I taking? What could happen if I go ahead and do this right now? Even if you're not thinking of yourself, think your kids, think your wife, think your family, think your husband and the faces on them when the police show up, you know, to give them that news. I mean, I can't say it enough. RCMP can't say it enough. We know that, uh, I know it's a bit harsh. It's all I can say. The new helmet laws are now in force. But we all know many won't bother, I know. I've been at a few of these scenes as a reporter for 30 years. And, uh, and yeah, people just don't get it. And sometimes it has to end up tragically for them too so. But uh, end of rant, at least one. And there's one other last vital issue I wanted to bring up before we uh, have a look. I think there's some calls. How we doing, Dave? Yes, calls in the queue. So if you don't already have plans for tonight, and if you do, break them. 'Cause the boys are back in town and they deserve a serious welcome home after what they, our Newfoundland growlers I'm talking about, accomplished on the road. Backs against the wall, down three to one in the series to Reading in Pennsylvania, stormed their way back. Did I mention on the road in their barn? Becoming only I think it's the eighth team to come back from being down three to one, only the second team to ever do it to win game six and seven on the road. Man. They dug deep for that. But they're back home tonight, and you know they'd love nothing better than to see that place blocked to the rafters tonight when they skate out. Um, Facing the Florida Everblades. Love it, Everblades. In the conference finals with the winner headed, of course, to the finals, Kelly Cup finals. And, of course, we won it all in 2019. So uh, game one tonight, game two goes Sunday night. Both are at 7 p.m. Not sure why they skipped Saturday night. Didn't see any other event on the calendar, on the Mary Brown Center calendar. Um, Then again, the games aren't there either on that particular general calendar. If you go in and get tickets, you can see it there. In any case, let's block her. Fill those empty little pockets on the ends that you see. The players have spoken a lot about how much that fan support means to them. So after what they did on the road, keep the playoff run going. They deserve a full house tonight, if you ask me. And then afterward, of course, uh, maybe head downtown, patronize a few establishments that you know are dying for a bit of business after the last couple of years. And, you know, hopefully the scoundrels will leave the flags alone at the embassy. So bear with me this morning as I attempt to fill a couple of pretty big shoes here. And then bears with me later at Mary Brown Center. It's Come On With It Friday, don't you know? The May 24th edition. Dave, what you got there? Anyway, we're looking forward to taking your calls. we got a song to go into. I'm. Uh, I'm not going to stray much. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I'm not going to stray much from what Patty got going on here. And that includes a tune to get to the break. So fire her up and have a great long weekend. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. Let's go right at it. Line one, Justin, you're on the air.
2: Good morning, Brian. How are you doing this morning?
1: I am great. Beautiful Friday. How about yourself?
2: Oh, my geez, you can't argue with this, boy. hopefully we can... uh, Hopefully it's safe and i put away the lawn johns now for a couple of days. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, oh, my God. I just remembered those, the long, white Long johns. Okay. So what's on your mind, yes, Justin? Sir. What's up?
2: No, I just wanted to uh, call in, Brian. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, we got a little uh, program on the go here in central Newfoundland. We're trying to protect the land between the uh, Northwest and Southwest rivers here uh, called Charlie's Place, right? Right. And so this is uh, well, it's over a year now, Brian, I guess, uh, May the 5th that we started at this, and uh, so, just wanted to give you listeners a little update. Now, we had to, uh, our fourth and fifth meeting, of the Corner Brook and Paper, now held on the third and the sixth of May, which, uh, sorry to say, hasn't uh, you know hasn't really been beneficial to to either side, I guess. But uh, anyway, there's a there's a major tributary, Brian, and uh, of course now two boundaries on uh, Charlie Place's northwest and southwest Gander River, and the other boundary would be Gander Lake. And uh, there's a main tributary, which we call the heart of Charlie's Place, that dissects the middle of this country. So the latest offer from Corner Brook would be a 500-metre uh, buffer on each side of this tributary, you know. Right. And, and as they stated on uh, on our interviews now on the on media, uh, they were just, you know, pretty much downplaying it, say that it's only going to be 10% of this area cut, which we think of 100 square, uh, you know, if it's 10% of 100 square kilometres is not a big lot, which you don't think. But all these uh, all the maps that I've got here and the maps submitted by Corner Brook, and the ones that we've been working on is uh, is their footprint is going to be like, uh, you know, there's going to be sections of all over Charlie space. like about uh, 12 road developments, 12 different sections gone in. You know, this this is going to be fully developed road systems and bridges and Bailey bridges for cutting for the long run. So it might be 10 percent today but another 10 percent tomorrow and you know it just it don't sound 10 don't sound much like if they were going to be go and cut a little corner 10 by 10 it won't sound so bad but where their footprint is going to be all over this right. this country that we got is uh is pretty much defeating the purpose you know once it's opened up you know what we know what comes in you know and so uh, yep. you know we want a little bit of habitat so you know for for future generations and stuff right justin
1: just first of all just for, for people who aren't aware what who is charlie
2: uh, Charlie was an Aboriginal hunter pioneer, Charlie Francis. Uh, we put him in the area now, Brian. We have living documents on this supporting biography of Charlie. That was Francis. my next Please, question,
1: uh, but go ahead.
2: Yeah, and uh, yeah, we put him there, and he came to Gannaway actually from Picatoo Landing. I think was in the early, very early 1800s. So we, anyway, we place him up to Norwest and Charlie's place there. We place him there between 1820, and 1830, right. Uh, he was granted—he uh, was granted some land in by the government there for all that side for his trapping lines, and this continued, Brian, right on down to, to uh, to myself and Calvin and uh, Francis and stuff, uh, direct descendants of, of Charlie himself, you, you know, and and with the living documents as I mentioned and the photographs from nineteen oh five and. We got our signatures there of over 500 uh, 500 signatures. And this area, uh, now, Brian, between the fresh water alone, uh, this water system supports over 15,000 people in the surrounding communities for, for fresh water. And we're fairly placed up on this plateau. If it, it, one drop of water is either going to go west or east, it's going to go northwest, southwest, <laughs> or, or north. It's going to run into Gander Lake, you know. Yep. And you're talking about, uh, you know, I work on the, uh, the rivers every summer and stuff, and, and we're seeing alarming signs by, uh, by, of course, you know, global warming. And, mm. you know, our rivers are boiling, right? So they're they're dependent on these crystal clear springs running out of Charlie's Place and cold water to, to you know, vitalize and uh, keep these little incubators cool, uh, optimal temperatures for our spawn lab, right?
1: Right. Uh, Justin, where is this in these let's say, the, the machinations of government? Are there a formal... Uh, do you have any formal uh, submissions or applications or anything? Uh, what kind of correspondence you have with government on, on this so far?
2: Yes, this is where I wanted to get to today, Brian, uh, my friend. Uh, this has been released, uh, environmental assessment has been released uh Bernard Davis' Office of Environmental Climate Change, uh, 21st of November. So be way before that, now we've submitted our uh, proposal with Wear Act and stuff, right? we we'll doing an ecological reserve, uh, you know, just for looking you know, for uh, mm-hmm. protected areas all around the island and stuff. And of course now, with this new announcement on April the 6th, uh, supporting these areas for over uh, $4.1 billion now would it be? To uh, all across Canada for, two, for these protected areas, and another 2.3 billion Brian for uh, for these Aboriginal work, you know, government and uh, and Aboriginals work together for these these IPCAs, which is a uh, Indigenous Protected and Conserved Area, right? Right. So, so that's what we after this meeting on the uh, on the sixth. Okay. So we so last Friday we've uh, we done just done up our proposal and we declared an IPCA because of all the. You know all the cultural significance up there, right? It's not only you know it's it's all of our residents. You know, with the price of living and the cost of gas yeah. and stuff. You know, people got to choose between heat, or light, or, or food. Oh, you know, for the kids and stuff. You know,
1: ain't that the truth? Uh, but just IPCA uh, acronyms are uh, are, are uh, oh, just a real pet peeve for me, especially in the biz, in the reporting business. Sometimes they just riddle them off. Even people who work for organizations don't know their own acronyms sometimes. But just well, for clarity, what's an IPCA?
2: Uh, IPCA is Indigenous Protected and Conserved Area. Right. Okay. Now that w- that would that would give us access to you know to these grants and to you know work side by side with government and, and to protect it. And uh, now, as of now. Uh, Newfoundland is at 6%, Brian, of a, of a forecasted and a committed 30% by uh, 30, uh, 2030. So, yep. you know, we're way behind the ball, right?
1: Well, Justin, I, I wish you luck. Um, we got a full board here now on a Friday, so I'm going to move on to another call. But thanks for, for putting this, reminding people that you're on this. Um, keep us posted.
2: Brian, can I just add one little quick thing? My sure. Friend? The, uh, just before, this is what I want to get into today. Now, of course, every time you turn on the television now, it's, uh, truth and reconciliation is the first story, and uh, and then climate change is the second story, you know what I mean? Yep. And uh, with all the, uh, this has just been released now, we have family backing to release this information, uh, Charlie's Place is also a burial ground, you know, for mm-hmm. all the years now that people, you know, when, when someone happened to, you know, die or whatever something, they were buried in the place. I mean, we call these places quiet places, so we get proof of this, you know, we have, sure. we can release this from the families. People's ashes are up there. And, you know, what I mean, to turn around and uh, you're in your graveyard or something to get paying respects to, you, your loved one, and you turn around and see a bulldozer coming in, you know, you, you're going to stand up for it, eh, boy? Absolutely. You know I mean, mean yeah. So this is where we're to, and uh, like you say, this just the, so the, the important to us, boy. And you know, there's there's a plan in place for us, and we got total government silence on this. There's no response. Nine of the chiefs are getting response to letters sent in on May the fifth. And
1: well, so Justin, we, we maybe today, maybe today, with you know your call today and the information you're sharing making more people aware of it. I mean, that's what this show is. So, you know.
2: Yes, Brian, and we'll we call on government, my buddy, and the premier, for sure, he's aware of it, and that to, to come to the table with us for peaceful people and just to get this resolved in a peaceful and respectful manner, right?
1: Absolutely. The government has made no bones about that indigenous and reconciliation are top priorities for them. So keep us posted. Let us know what you hear. Yeah, we're just not seeing it. Anyway,
2: uh, Brian, stay clear of the monkey fox, eh?
1: <laughs> and the moose. <laughs> And the moose uh, all the best buddy thanks justin all right that's justin charlie's land we'll get right to tina uh is uh, our next caller line two dave good morning right tina nary councillor portugal cove st phillips you're on the air
3: good morning brian how are you today
1: good morning tina sorry about your title there
3: uh, oh, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, yeah, we just wanted to take an opportunity to uh, call in this morning and just share some fairly exciting news coming from uh, the Portu- uh, town of Portugal, Cole, St. Philip. Sure. And so just uh, to give a heads up to listeners, the Mental Health Task Force, this is uh, an initiative that was started back in 2017 uh, by myself, uh, uh, was introduced for, on behalf of the town of Portugal Coast, St. Phillips, at a, at a M&L conference um, that was taking place. And so it was uh, an initiative, a resolution actually brought forward that was met with unanimous vote by members. And we've been working fairly, fairly diligently at that uh, task force for the last, you know, since that time. So... Basically, uh, you know, the council presented the concept of this task force to address the mental health crisis that was happening in cities and towns, you know, around the province. And, you know, the purpose of the uh, task force is to create and maintain municipality-driven initiatives. I always get my (laughs) tangled up in that. But uh, anyways, yes, you know, municipality-driven initiatives with a primary goal of making mental health resources available to everyone. At this point, you know there's such a stigma in the sector that it's really concerning to see that if you live beyond the overpass, that uh, you know those resources aren't available to you. And so we wanted to do something about that and basically allow for you know a forum for discussion and a place to coordinate this joint action together. Well, and so yep. we, yeah, so uh, yeah, so we've uh, been accessing various professionals in the field to support you know all of our residents and offer access to you know a multitude of online resources, etc. So yesterday we just wanted to. Now it's, uh, we're very, very excited after all of this time to see our vision coming to fruition, if you will. We announced a, a new partnership that will see the mayors and the deputy mayors, councillors, municipal administrators right across Newfoundland and Labrador be able to gain access to these very important mental health and wellness resources. And uh, our partnership uh, is with Mr. Gary Summers, and I, I do believe he'll be uh, on this morning as I well. I think he's
1: on the line right now uh, as well Was going to join us. I was just going to say, Tina, we just can't have enough of these initiatives. So oh, absolutely. bravo to you. And uh, Gary, you're on the line as well, are you?
4: Uh, yes, I'm here.
3: Sure. Oh, good morning, Gary. Good morning, Jean. Yeah, so-
4: how
1: are you?
3: Good, thanks. So, yeah, so we just wanted to, uh, to come together and share all of this exciting news with everybody else and just, you know, talk a little bit about this new partnership and this website that's available that I'll, uh, I'll let Gary share a bit about. Um, you know, there's three components to this partnership. The first is, of course, the sharing of resources, which includes so many things, audio, video recordings and toolkits and presentations, all produced by uh, Mr. Summers, who has been amazing in coming forward and sharing his life's work with us. And then... You know, there's, I think there's at least 90 interviews with different mental health wellness and other experts and professionals that are, that are available on the website. And uh, the second component was our first Mental Health Summit, a half-day mm. event that took place a couple of weeks ago at the MNL Symposium in Gander, which was an excellent uh, success. And then the final component is going to be the delivery of our monthly webinars, which we have been doing for the last couple of years, um, but it's something that we're going to move forward in, again, to bring more information to the municipal sector. So Really excited about all this stuff going on.
1: Yeah, Gary, maybe you can t- just uh, tell us what the expertise, your your fascinating expertise that you bring to the table.
4: Uh, okay, so um, uh, thanks, uh, Brian, for for having both me and Tina. I apologize for my voice. I was tested positive for COVID uh, uh, yesterday, and gotcha. Yeah, I, uh, I missed the, actually. I had to. I I came in over Zoom to uh, to to do my thing on the uh, on the press conference yesterday. So, wow. yeah, so.
1: Best of luck to your health on that one.
4: Oh, oh, I'm fine. I just have a snuffy nose. I'm 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 fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Good. I'll get through it like everybody else did. Good. So yeah, so so I have, I approached the municipal mental health task force back in uh, um, January. actually actually back in in November when I when I talked to Bradley Power who actually put me in touch with Tina Uh, I didn't even know a mental health task force existed even though we we know it's 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 needed
1: and Gary Uh, you're you're a hypnotherapist right you do hypnotherapy
4: Yeah, yes and I do a bunch of other other things as well but that's one of the things that I do people probably know me know know me for that Mm -hmm. Um, I had a radio show on and right called mind body soul and I I introduced uh, wellness professionals because most people in the province don't even know that these people exist. I mean, I've been around a long time and and I've met some incredible people and I knew that once I started this process a number of years ago, I knew we had the expertise in the province to make a difference in people's lives. So when I approached the Mental Health Task Force and said, look, I've I've developed a lot of programs over the years, but... I know hundreds and hundreds of people who who have put their hand up and said, yes, I want to I want to be part of it. So there's a right now, there's a, um, uh, a mental health task force have a, uh, a link on um, um, on the MNL website that people can go, can go in. We're, we're just starting to populate it all now. We've just finished doing some more recordings. Uh, Tina tells me or told me back a few months ago that they have access to a, uh, a professional recording studio that we can go in, they have high-def cameras, wireless microphones, the proper lighting, uh, teleprompters, monitors, uh, flat screens to, to do presentations. So my, I guess my uh, motivation for, for doing all of this is to allow people to live in hope and possibility. Um, If you really believe, and I truly do believe, that there is an answer to everyone's problem, most people don't know where to look, uh, and they seem lost. So what I want this location to be is a place where these people, so anybody in the province can go on this website, click on a link, and they could be listening to a psychotherapist to talk about OCD or a psychologist to talk about PTSD or the naturopathist therapist to talk about gut health or any of the numerous holistic healers that we have out there with, with modalities too vast to even to, to even get into now so I want people to be able to know that if they go there and look they'll find a solution uh, to their problems so've we 've got, uh, we've got a programs on there, or they will be on their um, uh, program called Kids and Drugs, where pe- uh, the program teaches parents how to talk to their kids, how to help them make good decisions uh, there 's a four part program on life skills for students. I was a former teacher, so I developed a four part program that basically teaches young teenagers how life really works. you know that yeah. food doesn 't automatically appear in the fridge, and you know in- insurance on in your care is, 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 is costs money. And things so we want to, to provide a broad range of, of options for for people to um, to be able to access all this vast information that we have right here in the province and, and Brian, I don't think. There's anything like this in the country i mean there's there's websites where you can get information, but not to be able to go in and see all of these people in the one location yeah. so that you can click on so what i'm what I'm asking the public now, of course, is we've got about sixty or sixty five people who put up their hand and said and they've already contributed but i'm you know the more the more we populate this website and the more people become involved so to make this the biggest mental, mental health initiative the province has ever seen. So uh, if people want to get in contact with me, uh, my email is gary at garysummers.ca or just, just Google me and you'll get my website and you can send me some information there. So. Um, and is that, Gary, is that, the, is
1: that the website that we're talking about or is that your no, person? No,
4: no, the, web, the, web, the website, if you go, if you go into...
1: Um, yeah, give me the particulars on that one.
4: Okay, so the simplest way to, to do is to, uh, if you go into municipalnl.ca. Uh, so municipalnl.ca. If you go into that website, uh, on top there's a um, there's a link called membership. If you click on membership, and then on the left hand side there's the uh, uh, link for a mental health task force. If you click on that mental health task force, then that brings you right into the website, and there's an introduction video there. Myself and tina are, are talking about it, and and then I kind of do a quick navigation, and then there's um, uh, we've started like there's eighty or so interviews there now, and there's other things there, but we're we're in the process now. I'm editing now twelve new interviews that we've we've done over the over the last few months, so every every week we will have new resources in there to, 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 to build it up and make it, make it this huge okay. initiative.
1: Well, I can't thank you enough, like I said, Tina and Gary, um, you know, it, it, this site runs the gamut. Uh, it's got services for everybody. Um, it's- Keep us posted on the progress of it. The call is out today that you made for the public, and uh, you know, like I said, maybe a day like I can't ima- I can't help but ask: day like today, the sun gleaming down—that's pretty good for mental health. It
5: <laughs>
3: absolutely is. <laughs> We've all been waiting a really long time for it. Haven't for we sure.
1: all. You said it. Listen, thanks so much for this, Thank you, Brian. Very much. Really Thank important you. work. Thank you. Th- thanks, Brian. Right. That is uh, Tina Neri and Gary Summers there with the Mental Health Task Force. Uh, we're taking a break. And we're coming right back. Your VOCM Mornings with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. 530 to 9 a.m. weekdays on your VOCM. Welcome back to the program. I'm Brian Callahan. And for Patty Daly today, let's go. Trent Langdon, president of the Newfoundland and Labrador Teachers Association. You are on the air.
6: Good morning, Brian. I think it's first time we've chatted. I
1: think, in, I, I think it may very well. Absolutely. How you doing and what's on your mind?
6: Well, uh, a bunch of different things. Uh, we we have a new campaign that we've started recently. It's uh, uh, people would have seen it uh, certainly in social media, but also uh, in the news. Uh, it's it's about uh, teachers wearing a brave face as they go to school mm-hmm. each day, but also uh, uh, students as well. Uh, th- there's a hidden reality right now in our province, and and we've been we've spoken to this regularly through the years, and, and most recently in, in during the pandemic that um, just keeping things moving behind the scenes in school schools is a very difficult thing right now uh, in healthcare for example if if, if there's if we're short on beds or there's no doctors available it, it's, it's 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 front of mind it's very clear what the issue is but schools remain open even though there's a lot of challenges behind the scenes to keep things moving
1: yeah well I mean look the, the ad that you're talking about and I've seen it yep. and you know more and more you know ca- important causes such as this such as um, a couple of weeks ago we had the RCMP and the Speed the Citizens Coalition for, for crime prevention you know more and more people are having these tangible really you need to see it with your own eyes really to get the message through and the one i think you're talking about is the teacher is in the bathroom and she's just trying to get ready and saying put on your brave face and that sort of thing um wh- who where did that come from who uh, you know wh- when was that decision let's get some ads out there and, and really show people what people are going through
6: yeah, and, and you know, I think the NLTA has been very clear in, in, in our marketing through the years is that teachers do change lives, and, and we do what we can on the ground to support families and children. But right now, there's pressures in the system that uh, the public needs to know about, and we have a teacher allocation review currently ongoing in the province, and, if you know, unless this is kept front of mind, uh, the issues that teachers are facing, and just I'll just give you some examples. Uh, uh, our class sizes are, are such that right now to meet the needs of all the children in those classes is very difficult. Um, you add the substitute teacher shortage to that. Uh, right now uh, there's a significant issue around the province. We're relying on retirees and um, and interns to to fill positions uh, as well as emergency placement. Uh, and, and emergency placement teachers, by the way, uh, the only requirement is uh, is a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. So we're watering down, uh, or we're worried that we're going to be watering down the professional uh, in and of itself, But which ultimately means uh, watering down the service to students in this province because right now Teachers, uh, I'm hearing day in day out in my school visits and, and via telephone, email that they just can't meet all the needs that uh, they're looking at from day to day.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's it's what is this May the 20th today, mm-hmm. you know? So people are saying, oh, we're almost near the end. It almost seems to be a bit of complacency. We're almost near the end of the school year. Nothing's blown up, so everything seems it's like the swan on the surface of the ocean, on the water on the on the yeah, on yeah. the pond, but underneath is kicking like crazy. Uh, you know, Trent, I'm I can't say it enough. I mean, I I have a 13 year old daughter in the system and right. You know, uh, really, teachers, third parent, or in some cases, if you're a single uh, parent, it's your second parent. They're seeing your kids Mm -hmm. more than you are throughout the day, especially today. People work in all kinds of unique hours. They're not always there. And really, you know, when the kids are, you know, it's their unguarded moments at school away from their parents. Teachers see that, and they're interacting. Again, they're seeing more things than the parents are seeing about their own kids. So, you know, add that to everything else they have had to sort of take on, Uh, you know, Know, socially, in a social aspect, and dealing with kids' mental health, because you know they're not just saying, okay, you know. Uh, those kids can go on; they'll deal with it themselves. I mean, they, you know, teachers got into the profession because they have a conscience, right? For kids.
6: Well, that's right. We, we were, and I can speak to myself. Certainly, I was drawn into it because of my uh, my want to to be a support to children and families. And and all of our teachers are in the same boat. Uh, and I think you nailed it, Brian. In that uh, every day we have our children in front of us, but when they leave us at two o'clock, two thirty, three o'clock every day, we don't we don't forget them. Mm. They're on our minds through the night. We're preparing for the next day, um, and every single child that comes to the door has got, has got very unique needs. Uh, so I'm talking about, uh, you know, your, your children who may be able to come in and, and be your, quote, unquote, typical learner. Uh, but there's a lot of atypical learners out mm-hmm. there, too. You know, you add your children with autism, your children with ADHD. Our, our newcomers, for example, we have uh, certainly in, in metro region and in, in other areas, um... Uh, uh, the newcomers that have come from mm. Afghanistan, Syria, so a lot of African countries, and now Ukraine, uh, and, and Ukraine, right? So uh, just think about it. We've we've got uh, students that are, are and families that are fleeing a, a, a war torn country. Uh, who knows what traumas attached to that? Who knows um, the behavioral concerns that will come with? Them? I know full well that our teachers are going to welcome them with open arms, and and that's what we do. Uh, and if anything, it's it's such a bonus to have uh, uh, new faces and newcomers to in this problem, because I think that's a fabulous move. Uh, for us to be to be really supporting that, but we want to have we want to be at the top of our game. We want to have services wraparound services for those children when they come in, uh, not just our newcomers, but certainly our, our kids that are here now. Right. Uh, because uh, you know, day in day out, teachers. Um curriculum underlines everything but until you hit the emotional pieces uh, uh, or the physical needs of those children you can forget getting to curriculum because they're in front of you and that needs to be met first.
1: So I mean we all, I, I, you know and the point is made you know and I'll get you out there on this I mean it's, we know the stresses that were already in the system and we no one could be prouder than the way we're taking people and, and the immigrants that are coming and the refugees that are coming from other places and trying to fit them into our, cult, you know th- to give them the same kind of advantages that we have. I I, I assume, you know, you feel that there's a lot of work to, to do yet to be able to accommodate it all. I mean, yeah, did we bring people too fast for the education system? Some people might say we've done it for the healthcare system. That'll put extra strain. Is it the same thing in education?
6: Well, we're certainly wondering how it's going to, it's going to pan out, right? Because there's, there's got to be a breaking point. And, and right now we're hmm. hearing from teachers. Teachers are feeling overwhelmed that, uh, as you mentioned, we're into May month. But uh, yeah, a lot of people's heads are now, let's get through the school year. Let's go into the summer. But, you know, we need to keep this on the forefront that to add a student uh, in May month doesn't mean that the next six weeks are going to be a cakewalk, right? right. It, it, it's, it's about prepping these students. And, and one thing is supporting them in the moment, but it's setting them up for yeah. the next school year as well, that if they have a good experience in their first few weeks of school, they're much more likely to have that good start moving into the new school year. So, uh, you know, th- we're, we, we can't be sugarcoating things anymore. That, uh, you know, the immigration policy has to match the education policy, which ultimately means resources. And uh, we've been hearing from people that... Uh, the, uh, the uh, English as a second language supports aren't up the par to what they need the caseloads are too large translation services aren't being offered as they should be for our, our, uh, our incoming students no doubt there's been some talk of investment in funds and stuff mm. and I, I've heard I, I acknowledge that but uh, from what we're hearing from our teachers it, it's, it's still not quite enough uh, to meet the uh, the needs around guidance counseling and, and ESL supports
1: okay and Trent I you know I saw initially when your name came up I saw masks next to it so I'll give you about another 30 seconds just sure. did you you want to touch on that before we go?
6: Yeah, you know we've always supported public health through the pandemic, and that, that's that's been our guide uh, from from day one. Uh, all I do know is back in March when things were pulled back a bit uh, around protocols and so on, that it's been really difficult for teachers to enforce the masking piece because students are, you know, it's, it's just especially warm weather coming and so on. So our focus right now is is maximizing safety. That masks are recommended, if at all possible. We're recommending that masking uh, or people choose to continue to wear their masks. Uh, but bottom line, Brian we've got we got to look at the school system within it we've got families that are on both ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. we've got families who are terrified to still send their children to school because of, of the worries around covid because of whatever situation they may have teachers in the same boat and we have people on the other end who are completely done with this and are totally fine to go without masks so within that we got to show and find some respect for each other but bottom line uh, from a safety and resilience piece if masking is not going to be the focus uh, we need to focus on ventilation air quality in our schools and and, uh, and class sizes and distancing.
1: Well, into the home stretch of the school year now, so uh, hopefully, lots of good time and lots of good work um, over the summer just to, to really do a good review and heading back to school in the fall, dare I say it. Trent landon thanks a lot for this today.
6: Yes, Brian, if I could, Brian, just a, a safe and healthy uh, May 24 for all the students and parents and teachers out there.
1: Echo that, absolutely. Thanks, thanks again. Trent Langdon, President of the Newfoundland and Labrador Teachers Association. We're going to take a break, coming back, Donna House with the Beekeeping Association. Buzz, buzz, that should be good on a day like a beautiful sunny day like today. We're taking that break and coming right back. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to line two, and Donna House, good morning, Donna House. Good
7: morning, Brian. How are you today?
1: Oh, well, you know, I'll repeat it ad nauseum, but on a day like today, it's hard to be anything but better than a little cherry, chipper, <laughs> jovial.
7: Absolutely. Um, I'd like to talk about something more pleasant than monkeypox and gas prices
1: <laughs> today. <laughs> well, it's, go right uh, ahead.
7: <laughs> it's a beautiful sunny day and a beautiful forecast for the weekend. That it is. And um, a great opportunity to talk to your listeners about our celebration of World Bee Day today, uh, May 20th, across the world.
1: Well, I'm glad you gave us a buzz. A buzz, there you go. I'm really sorry.
7: Uh, <laughs> the United Nations World Bee Day theme for 2022 is Bee Engaged, celebrating the diversity of bees in the beekeeping systems. Bee Day celebrations raise awareness about the threats to pollinators by human activities. And the purpose of World Bee Day is to acknowledge the role of bees and other pollinators for the ecosystem as well as the contribution of bees to the environment and food security. So by announcing World Bee Day today, we'd like to engage with the residents of our province as we celebrate and advocate for these pollinators.
1: Okay, sorry, I thought, you were go- I thought you had more to say. So how are you going oh, about I that? I do I'm have
7: more to say. Yeah. I thought I'd give you an opportunity. Well, I
1: didn't want to interrupt because it's, mm-hmm. uh, people are sick of listening. I mean, they'll only have to listen to me so long this morning. So anyone who calls, <laughs> I'm going to let you have the floor. But uh-huh. no, continue. Go ahead. Well, the
7: pollinators... Knowledge is power. Hun- pardon me?
1: <laughs> knowledge is power.
7: Yes, there you go. Um, pollinators, including honeybees, are responsible for about one-third of the food we eat. Mm. So the mission of our Newfoundland Labrador Beekeeping Association is to support bee health and our beekeeping industry. We do this through engagement with our membership, our collaborators, and other industry partners. Some of the human activities that are greatly affecting bees are pesticides, herbicides, and loss of habitat, which one of your previous speakers talked about, um, land development, development and mm. so forth. So one of the biggest threats to honeybees worldwide is a mite called the varroa destructor mite. It's extremely devastating to honeybee colonies. And Newfoundland is one of the only couple of remaining places in the world and the only place in North America where there is no varroa destructor mite. As a result, we're working here in Newfoundland uh, to maintain our varroa-free status. So some of the human activities that are generally little little... Um, affecting bees are, as I said, the pesticides and herbicides. Mm. We recently held a Growing Together workshop in Grand Falls, Windsor earlier this month, and there are a number of exciting announcements coming out of that. We have new legislation being developed to further protect Newfoundland honeybees as well as new signage going up soon at airports and seaports Mm. stating that it's illegal to import honeybees into Newfoundland and Labrador. So this this is a wonderful step in the right direction for protecting our province's honeybees.
1: Donna, I know we've talked. uh, You've been on. We've talked about this before. But just a bit of background. How many beekeepers are there in Newfoundland and Labrador right now?
7: We have approximately 130 beekeepers and around 900 bee colonies, beehives.
1: And so, and as you said, it's been protected from various. Can you tell me the name of that mite again?
7: It's called the Varroa destructor mite. It's very, very devastating to bee colonies. You've probably uh, read and heard online about the great winter losses across our country, bee colonies, commercial beekeepers, and this is largely due to the Varroa mite.
1: And so, but there's no, again, there's no appearance in this province.
7: We have no Varroa destructor mite in this province. So far, we're yes. working really hard to keep it out, and, uh, which is the reason we're putting mm. up signage and so forth, mm. that it is illegal to bring honeybees into Newfoundland and Labrador.
1: And do we see much of that? How much illegal uh, contraband bees are there?
7: No, we haven't seen much of it, and we're trying to increase awareness in the event that this does happen. Mm.
1: So this is very proactive.
7: Because uh, very proactive. People may unknowingly uh, bring bees in, Uh, well, bring them in knowingly, but not knowing that it's illegal to do so because of our Varroa-free status. So we're trying really hard to maintain that status and educate the public.
1: Well, if you need to know, all you need to know is uh, pick up, well, not pick it up. I guess there was a day you'd go to the video store and pick it up. All you need to know about how important the bees are, bee movie.
7: Yes absolutely <laughs>
1: it breaks they, it down pretty really,
7: really are important
1: it and it does break it down, you know i mean it's a, I remember watching that movie with my daughter when she was growing up and uh Every now and then, she'll just throw out some factoid about bees. I was like, "How do you know that?" She's like, "Oh, remember the Bee Movie?" And it's you know, it's a it's an animation, but and I mean, uh, you know, the facts in it are pretty straightforward, and what can happen in the importance of bees to just our entire ecosystem. So, you know, you're not uh, you're not whistling the wind. It's a, it's an important topic. It's just I don't think sometimes bees are right in front of us. It's one of those things that, you know, it's right before your eyes every day, but you don't really appreciate how important it is.
7: Absolutely, and it's a great weekend. A lot of people will be out in their gardens cleaning up and so forth. It's really important that people try to leave some of the right. native flowers and natural areas around their gardens and uh, around their towns and so forth.
1: Great, right. and uh, quickly, I f- almost forgot uh, No Mo May.
7: No Mo May, yes. We may have to extend <laughs> it into No Mo June.
1: <laughs> I wondered about that. Just tell okay, us what No, no Mo, Mo May is. just
7: beginning to come out.
1: Just to tell our listeners what No Mow May is, if they haven't already heard.
7: No Mow May is an initiative uh, worldwide, really. It started in the United Kingdom a number of years ago and quickly took on an international uh, flavor. Um, we encourage people to not mow the dandelion around their gardens. Uh, dandelion is one of the first big nectar flows for bees. And other native pollinators as well, it provides quite a large food source of pollen and hun- uh, pollen and nectar, which they need for their colonies, and to enable them to grow and survive through the summer and winter so that they can provide pollination to our fruits and vegetables and so forth.
1: I'm so bad for that. I, the minute I see some dandelions or weeds in the back, I'm out pulling them out one by one, but... Uh, I've been a little educated.
7: Little area to the side for some dandelion and clear the rest. Of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's like the Christmas trees. They say now don't uh, don't mulch them. Throw them in the backyard, and it's good for your for your grass. So I don't I don't know. I'm going to have a jungle in my backyard soon enough. There you go, Donna House. Uh, thanks so much for this. Uh, you know, keeping it on people's radar and um, make sure people aware the you know, importance of bees. I know I know people, including speaking of my daughter, who's not really uh, fond of bees, more so wasps. But, um, once she understood the importance of bees as opposed to wasps just being a nuisance she's a she's a big bee person now, so uh thanks for uh, putting it back on the uh on the burner and especially this weekend. you see a bee leave it alone
7: Yes, and <laughs> a lot of people are afraid of bees, but they just don't know much about them, don't understand them. Honeybees bees are very, very gentle, they're more right. interested in, in the work uh, in in the work they're doing, pollinating flowers and gathering nectar and pollen for their colonies so There's much more awareness these days of honeybees and how wonderful they are. So thank you very much for the opportunity.
1: Well, uh, Donna, thank you for calling in today, and you enjoy every bit of the sunshine this weekend.
7: Thank you very much. You too.
1: Thanks. That's Donna House with the Newfoundland Labrador Beekeeping Association on World Bee Day. Coming up to news time, we're going to, yeah, break for news now. Coming up, um, we got Jody Wall talking about cost of living. Doc O'Keefe, oil and gas. Looking forward to that and looking forward to your calls here on VOCM's Open Line. I am Brian Callahan in for Paddy Daly today. Taking a break for news. Be right back. Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The
0: cabin party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the program. Dennis O'Keefe, you are on the air. On the air. Good to hear from you, former Mr. Mayor. How is everything?
8: Pretty good, boy. I'm just talking to my oil delivery man here now.
1: Are you... uh, You're you're in your curry place abode? Am I what? In your curry place abode?
8: In my curry place abode. There you go. And uh, I'm saying to him that he must have a, a... if you're a fair number of smiling faces <laughs> this morning now that the price has gone down.
1: Well, I mean, well, it, relatively speaking, uh, it's gone down, but hey, wait till next week. Or tomorrow.
8: <laughs> well,
1: we really yeah, don't know, you do we? know
8: which way it's going to go, although now we're into the summer, so demand is down.
1: Right. No, absolutely. And but
8: So we'll have to see what happens there. But in either case, Brian, and that's one, <laughs> by the way, it's good to talk to you.
1: And and likewise, it's been a while.
8: Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, uh, we'll have to see now where it goes. And I think now, I, I don't know about the government taking six months to review the mm-hmm. PUB. I mean, it's not rocket science if uh, you get a few people uh, who have expertise in that area. Uh, in government and one or two outside government, and have a look at what other people are doing when it comes to regulation. It would how ser- they regulate and see if what we're doing is correct, and if it's not, make the
1: changes. It would certainly so, be nice to have that uh, that clarity on on how exactly this is calculated. I mean, you know, I was at the news conference with the energy minister and the premier, and uh, when they mentioned when they announced the review of pub, you know, I mean. <laughs> But it, it, across the board, it's, it's nice to have the transparency. But when you look at it, even the minister said they don't know. And uh, you know, it kind yeah. of boggles the mind that the energy minister wouldn't know how pub, the pub is, uh, is coming up with their numbers. But, you know, uh, that'll be for the review. And uh, I don't know whether the transparency will make a difference at the, at the pump itself. I mean, uh, we're soon to have, um, uh, at least some people think, the highest prices in North America.
8: Well uh given the the drop last night I, I think we we may not be in that, that position, but we 're still up there we 're still we 're not number one we 're number two nope. and uh, we need to analyze the formula to see whether or not it 's correct and if it 's not make make the appropriate changes in gas immediately, fairly immediately i mean, why make people wait four or five months with high gas prices unless they have a plan to do something with the taxes and uh, and, and gasoline and they're not too quick about that either uh, I think they've uh, missed the vote on that How so? Terms.
1: Yeah. yeah, how so? How did they when you say well, they missed the boat.
8: I think there was room there for some kind of tax relief when it comes to the price of gas, be it in the carbon tax, or uh, be it in the sales tax, or be it in the five and a half cents given to North Atlantic. There, there, there was room there, and the minister says yeah, well, uh, you know, if we get it, if we don't get it in one place, we have to get it in the other. Well, that's not necessarily so. You look at your operations and see what you can do more efficiently and how you can save money and money that's saved can offset any any tax relief. Plus, they do have extra revenue that has come in from the increased uh, price per barrel. So I've always said there was room there within the tax regime to make allowances. You can, you can do what you have to do if you really really want to do it i mean that's that's the issue and they've chosen during this winter and thank god it wasn't a really bad winter uh, but they've chosen not to do anything about helping people uh... when it comes to furnace oil not to take the tax off furnace oil or tax off heat and fine that's their choice and they'll have to live with it when it comes election time
1: so you know you, you mentioned they they have to do what they have to do with what they have and prioritize you know, uh, we can't say it enough that they borrowed the $142 million that they did provide for support in the budget, and then, you know, you can do what you do, what you got, but of course, a $350 million deficit, a $17 billion debt, um, you know, is, it, is this not the realities of hard times in a province that, you know, only a couple of years ago, former Premier Dwight Ball said was just on the verge of bankruptcy?
9: You know,
8: they've had report after report after report, from the the Green Report to, uh, you know, the other reports that have been done, as to what should be done in order to tackle the deficit. And they don't seem to be too anxious about it for some strange reason. Because over the last two or three years, nothing has been done.
1: But aren't they tackling the deficit in some ways? And I don't, I'm don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be the the government advocate here on the mountaintop. All I'm saying is. You know, haven't they um, sort of been tackling the deficit? And this is part of tackling tackling the deficit by watching what kind of supports they put out there, whether or not they can afford it. I mean, none of us are privy to the down to the grassroots or the or the meat or the bone of the financial picture. I mean, they are shifting money around left, right, and center. We can't even imagine what the actuaries or the accountants are doing. But uh, trying to balance that you know the fact that we are still borrowing everything we spend more on the healthcare and and servicing the debt than anything and so uh, you know you see what the government's saying how much can we put this is the reality of a problem that's really on it still on very shaky financial ground and the 142 million they did give was actually the proceeds they would have gotten from the gas tax so you know, they rather than be uh, exposed themselves to the penalties of the federal government on the carbon tax, they just instead swallowed it themselves—the 142 they would have got—and they passed that on. So again, I don't mean to be an advocate, but I'm just stating the facts of how they say. You know, it's a bigger picture than these, and a little tanglier than people make it out to be.
8: Well, true, but then again, you know, Brian, you can't leave people cold in their houses and and again it comes down to making choices yes and again it comes down to making efficiencies in government and we haven't seen that yet we haven't seen any movement on any efficiencies or uh we haven't seen any plan as to what they're going to do to deal with the deficit so you know uh Again, you can't leave people cold in their houses in the dead of winter. Simple as that. Well. Uh, now, in the meantime, Brian, yep. what I did call you on, and I'll make it really quick, as I know.
4: No,
10: go ahead. That,
8: uh, you got a lot of callers. Yep. One, the oil and gas industry. Delighted to see that it's up and running again. It's very, very valuable mm-hmm. to Newfoundland Labrador and Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. Bay of Nord is, is going, hopefully, with Equinor. Uh, I hope in the very near future we we'll see West White Rose being announced and work will start in full scale on mm-hmm. on uh, that uh, the uh, government the federal government has announced that they 're not actually killing the offshore Newfoundland and Labrador but Uh, In the future you can apply for uh, um, developments and uh, they will have to meet stringent conditions and not a problem with that, Brian. I'm sure the oil companies will do what they can and technologically speaking to meet Mm. those requirements as they have with Beta Nord. But you know and I know, Brian, that you can... It's fine to have regulations that are reasonable and make sense but I hope they're not going down the road of setting the bar so deliberately high that it cannot be reached, and then we have the end of the Newfoundland-Labrador offshore.
1: Well, there are those, you know, I mean, ultimately that's the goal. We just don't want it to happen tomorrow. Doc, how much was your fill-up today?
8: fill up today, uh, I haven't got to bill yet, he, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, I'd say it was a lot less than it was yesterday.
1: Right, so it did take a big dip overnight, And 10 cents is not a lot but I mean you know it's no, something. No, no, 30, 36 cents. No, I meant for gas but yeah, so for the oil, heating oil, yeah, no yeah. absolutely, 36 cents, that's no. got to make a bit of a dent in it.
8: Although the it's. thing Brian, two really quick things, yep. I got a message for Paul, you know who Paul is.
1: Sorry, I I just had you um, broken up there for one second. Say that again.
8: I have a message for Paul. Do you know who Paul is?
1: Let me see. Which Paul are we talking about? I've got three in my head.
8: I'm talking about the Paul created by the Sierra Club. Oh. Uh, uh, To say, uh, they're saying to Paul, Paul, there's no future in offshore Newfoundland. Uh, It'll be gone in 10 years. Uh, You you need to pack up and leave, or you need to pack up and look somewhere else for employment. And my message to Paul is, Paul, hang tight. There is a future in offshore Newfoundland Labrador and as a young Newfoundlander Labradorian over the next 20, 30, 40 years uh, you'll be able to have a good future as we expand into alternative forms of energy. So Paul hang tight and I got a message for the for the government too Brian and that is you know what? Government Leave the colonial building alone. It's part of our history. It's part of our heritage. You don't need to change the name. It's part of who we are come on by, stand up for something.
1: Well, Doc, it's funny you should mention that, and I'll just end on this note. I was at an am- announcement at Commissariat House uh, with government there a few week- couple of weeks ago uh, to announce the historic sites, um, you know, free admission to historic sites and some other initiatives for come home year, and the minister at the time was asked whether or not uh, they're still on track to change the name of the colonial building, and I don't want to read too much between the lines, but his answer definitely made me think, and others in the room believe, that they may not change it at all, although it's still all going right. to talks and still going to consultations. But there seemed to be that suggestion. It's not a decision, but you could sense that in the air. So, uh, well, you
8: know, if you change the colonial building, then where the next does it end? one, Brian, yeah. will be the commissariat house. Change that, too. What about Newfoundland? Yeah, changed Newfoundland Labrador.
1: <laughs> I should have never brought that up. We'll just call it. Newf- <laughs> we'll just call you know, it Labrador. Brian,
8: it's great talking to you, and I wish you all the best. I was so sorry to hear about your dad.
1: D- and, thank you for uh,
8: that. Yeah, that was. Uh, he had a great life. He had a great political life, and he raised a great family.
1: Well, I, I, I won't argue with you there. I pre- really appreciate <laughs> that, and anybody else, and everybody, and all the, the messages I've gotten about dad Really appreciate that. I'd let, too bad he's not here to hear this today, but I know he can hear it.
8: Yep, he can, uh, and you look after yourself and your family, Brian.
1: Thank you, sir. Doc O'Keefe, thanks so much for the call. Have a great weekend.
8: Welcome. Bye.
1: Bye. Dennis O'Keefe, Doc O'Keefe, former mayor of St. John's. Uh, Dave, what are we doing? Are we going to take Jim for the break? Let's go to Jim on line one. Jim, you're on the air.
11: Yes, sir. How are you getting on today?
1: Getting on well, sir. Yourself?
11: I'm not getting on very good today, sir.
1: I'm sorry to hear that. What's up?
11: I tell you what's up, uh, my oil tank was just about empty yesterday, and of course, he was really down low. I turned around yesterday, and I ordered $600 worth of oil. Uh. And out of that $600 worth of oil, I paid $78 and some odd cents taxes. And then all of a sudden last night, the board of utilities dropped the oil for $0.36 a litre. Why don't they let the people know before time that this oil has gone down? I lost yesterday, between yesterday and the day, $110. I'm a senior citizen. And here you are, we're trying to survive... Because the last month or so, we've been having cold weather. You had to put your furnace on. You turn around, and then you order oil. Then you pay uh, $78 taxes. And now, last night, it went down, by this here, I'm figuring it out, it went down, taxes now, went down $110. So that's open robberies to the old people, senior citizens of Newfoundland and Labrador. And the government should get off their, their us and turn around and put the utilities in their place. Because as far as I'm concerned, there's nobody knows what the oil is going to be or anything else. And people are just set up with it all.
1: Jim, you are speaking for many, many, many people out there today. If I had known, or if anyone had known, that the price was going down this morning, whether it's gas, whether it's diesel, you could have saved a good chunk of cash last night. God knows we're all trying to save a bit of money. Well, so. know,
10: all right, I, I, I figured
11: it out here this morning, $110 mm-hmm. that I could have sold over last night, plus if that had been down yesterday, I'd have solved that $78 mm-hmm. taxes. I mean, do you mean tell me the border utilities didn't know that yesterday, that that oil was going down three or four days ago? It was like that gentleman on the television telling about oil, about uh, when it comes up on Wednesdays. The people that we got in there, the border utilities, is all government. All government. They're not worried about the, the poor senior citizens. They're not worried about the fixed income. The people, all are, are gentlemen, people, and women, and men who worked all their lifetime. time. What are they getting out of it? Mr. Mister Fury can go out there, and he wants to pay you $600,000 for that bring the car ahead in Newfoundland. And he wants to bring the queen and the king here. We got more things here in Newfoundland besides that.
1: Well, we'll... we'll t- We'll try to keep a little bit, Jim. I know it's frustrating, by it, but uh, you know, the public airways is nice to keep the profanity to a minimum. But you know, look, I, well, yeah, far be it for me to tell is, you not to be upset. Uh, uh,
11: Brian, it's the fact is that the border utilities. Have, uh, uh, last night mm-hmm. they're they going to take 36 cents off a litre. I paid a dollar, a dollar ninety-six yesterday for a, a litre of oil, and it went down to a dollar sixty. I paid. Sorry, but I paid a dollar ninety-six for oil yesterday. And the day is down to sixty. Yeah. I mean, that's so robbery for the old people and stuff around there. Yeah, and and The government should do something about it. Anybody bought an oil yesterday, they should give them a refund on what they paid for yesterday.
1: That's an interesting idea. It was just floating through my mind before you even said it. But, you know, and government, it's not like they don't acknowledge this. I mean, it's out there, the fact that this was kept... You know, it's all private and secret I mean, until. I mean, that's,
11: I mean, you, you could understand five or ten dollars, but when you sit down, yeah. I got two hundred and sixty-six liters of oil yesterday. I paid six hundred dollars for it, and today is down to I could get a hundred and ten dollars off, So that would have been I would have paid four hundred and ninety dollars yeah. for it instead of six hundred yesterday. You know I, mean? I mean, you know you've got nothing. you got nothing for yourself. Your groceries are gone mad. Everything is gone mad.
1: Well, you know, as far as the Public Utilities Board goes, I would have liked to have known yesterday that was going down today. But all I can tell you about that, Jim, is government's on it. They've obviously announced a review, but unfortunately it won't happen tomorrow. It won't happen yesterday. And it won't happen retroactively, so you can get back the money that you would have probably saved if you'd filled up yesterday. I guarantee you there are so many people listening to you now, Jim, going... Yeah, and uh, I and calculating what they lost.
11: When I'm asking them. I mean you're talking a hundred not that five dollars or ten dollars. You thought you take now yesterday a hundred ten dollars. Right? If I hadn't known of it, I wouldn't have bothered it for today. I would have sold myself $110. I mean, $110, you you don't pick that up every day on the side of the road.
1: No, and the question is why you shouldn't have been able to know about it yesterday, right?
11: Exactly. That's what, exactly what I'm saying. Okay. And if were, the Minister of Cody, the Minister of Finance, she's listening to this now. She should do something for the people that bought oil yesterday. Not today, who bought it yesterday. You know?
1: Well, Thank I you look very
11: much, Brian, for
1: listening to me. Jim, I appreciate the call. I appreciate the frustration. But I will try to get your refund. Uh, hopefully we'll... <laughs> maybe I'll get the Public Utilities Board on this morning. Yeah, right. Yes,
11: yeah, get somebody on. Say, uh, we, well, I mean, we were on as much. Yeah. I mean, we paid $110 yesterday, more. And, you know, Point I mean, th- that's ridiculous. I mean, it's open robbery. That's all it is.
1: Point taken, Jim. Uh, I suspect I'm going to get more calls on that, and I'm seeing them in my feed, so... Boy, oh, boys. Uh, Hold on to your receipts. Maybe we can do something.
11: Okay, okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate
1: that. Try to enjoy the weekend, Jim Long 24. Take care. Okay, buddy. Thank you very much. All right, that's Jim. So, Dave, what are we doing? Going to one... All right, we're going to take a short break. Jody Wall, right on the back of that. Uh, MHA for St. Francis on... Uh, Good segue, cost of living. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the program. I am Brian Callahan in for Patty Daly today, uh, heading into the long weekend. Jody Wall, you're on the air.
12: Good morning, Brian. Happy Friday to you and all your listeners.
1: Couldn't say I I can't say that enough today. Thanks, Jody. Same to you, buddy.
12: Uh, No, uh, it was said earlier, uh, great callers this morning, by the way, some great conversation back and forth. Couldn't agree more. Uh, It's a good day to focus on your mental health. So uh, just just a quick shout-out to my uh, municipal colleague, Tina Neary, and to Gary Summers. I heard them speak earlier with respect to the Mental Health Task Force. Absolutely. Uh, Excellent initiative. I've had the opportunity to sit on several of Tina's uh, sessions that she has facilitated, Mm. and it's it's great that they're partnered with Pally's Newfoundland-Labrador to get this out across the province. So just a quick shout-out to Tina this morning.
1: Yes, great message, great timing, great uh, and a beautiful day to soak up those rays.
12: It certainly is. So, yeah. looking forward to getting out a little later. Uh, yeah. Brian, i tell you why I called this morning, um, and it has to do with the cost of living. I just heard Jim speak with respect to his, uh, his plight with his, his oil, Ugh, oil.
1: Passionately and, so.
12: Oh, and you know what? You hear it in his voice. You could, you could feel it as he was speaking. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm hearing from my constituents over the past number of months. It is a difficult time for, for many people, Brian, but I tell you one thing. I had an interesting conversation with a gentleman in my district and the cost of living is now affecting his ability to volunteer in the district and you know volunteers not-for-profit sectors the community sector they're no different so this particular gentleman uh, for the last 20 plus years has has dedicated himself he's had the ability both financially and time-wise to drive people to doctor's appointments to to and from the cancer clinic even delivering you know, food hampers to those in need at various times. And he, he wanted to do that. He, he felt the need, he had the ability, and he, and he did so for, as I said, 20-plus years. He reached out to me recently to say that because of the cost of living, because of the high gas prices, because of everything going up, he's no longer able to, to volunteer. And that hit me to the core because... I've been a, a volunteer all my life. Brian, I'm sure you have as well, with respect to different things. Mm-hmm. Many Newfoundlanders and Labradorians volunteer their time. And where would this province be? Where would our province be without the help and support and dedication of our volunteers? So this one really hit home to me, Brian, because as a volunteer, I know what it takes, the time and the effort. And there are times the money that it takes to, to be involved. But this gentleman was so torn up because he could no longer do it. He could no longer have the ability to volunteer because he can't afford the gas in his vehicle and 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 this is just one just one instance with respect to uh you know how people are hurting in my district and i'm sure across you know across the 40 districts of the province but when you have volunteers not able to do their work our province is going to hurt you know this this world turns on volunteers and they're important but the reality is that the, the high gas prices are having a huge ripple effect and it's going beyond the gas tank. It's being felt everywhere throughout the province. And volunteers and non-profits are not exempt from it. So it's it, it, it's concerning to me. I've had the opportunity to, to speak in the House of Assembly numerous times over the past number of months with respect to cost of living and and the high you know the high fuel prices and you know we put out many media releases, 15 or 16 media releases with respect to looking for action. But when you speak to this gentleman. And you hear the passion in his voice, much like Jim just spoke with respect to uh, the price of the fuel in his tank. That's when it hits home. And that's when you you stop and you you really think about how is this going to go? How are we going to move forward with respect to the work that the volunteers do in my district of Cape St. Francis, throughout the other 39 districts around the province? How how are we going to survive when volunteers can't even do the work they're not getting paid, they're doing out uh, of the goodness of their heart and, and of course out uh, of pocket as well. So it, I just wanted to call in today just just to, to say that this is a huge concern. It's it's concerning to me, it's concerning to you know to my colleagues and, and of course on both sides of the house. I, I understand that everyone is hearing it. This is not a this is not a Tory complaint or a Tory issue. This goes across all stripes. Mm. And our province I fear uh, that we're, and, you know, there's not fear-mongering, this is reality. This is the reality when you're, your boots are on the ground and you're speaking with people who are hurting, and they want to help others, and they're not able to do so. So that's, that's my fear today, and I just wanted to, to bring that to light um, with respect to everyone in the province. We value what volunteers do. We wouldn't survive. Our province wouldn't survive without the work of the volunteers, and it's important to, to recognize that and for government to hear that this is now hurting far beyond uh, the individual person now, now individuals can't help others, and that's that's what's uh, alarming to me.
1: Yeah, you know, it's as plain as nose on your face. It's it's smacking us all in the face, to be honest with you. And you know, you hear stories, and and again, you're the uh, each of your members of the, the party were up in the house this week giving real life. It seemed to be a strategy to get make sure people were hearing the real life, tangible stories of your constituents, people who are really struggling. And you're right, it's going to every facet now. It's trickling down. It doesn't just it, you know, it's kind of kind of in a way, contextually, reminds you of COVID, where it just affected everyone. There was nobody really on the outside of it, no matter who you were. Even if you're a successful business, you were watching your pennies, and now you're watching as people can't drive to work. I mean, I saw a post the other day, someone, you know, and you guys made the point yourself. Some people are using their credit cards to fill up just to get back and forth to work and going deeper into debt that way. And there's interest on that, so it's not just a one-for-one. One. So... You know, uh, it's it's there. It's maybe, you know, it's not like we don't know about this, but it does have to be kept on the front row I mean, what do you do? It's a global issue. The province has made that point over and over. Cost of living, it's just out of hand. I, you know, I mean, I'm watching everything. I think there was a uh, two for $5, buns and hamburger buns. And I looked at them the other day and said, like, okay, I'll take that. Got to the cash, and it was actually the wrong price. I almost went back for the 50 cents, but... I was in a hurry. But, you know, it's, Ryan, it's, Many it's,
12: people are... No, <laughs> no, go many, ahead. Many people are the same as you, watching every cent. And, you know, I'm hearing from... I'm not hearing just from low-income or from pensioners. This is affecting middle-income people who are both working, some some working a second job. I've heard from people who are having to park one of their vehicles hmm. and take the insurance out of the vehicle because they can't afford to yeah. operate it. Yeah. I have students who are looking for part-time employment over the summer who have a, you know, have a vehicle they're trying to keep on the road, it's not worth their time, unfortunately, and I hate to say this, but it's not worth their time to go to work for 20 hours a week when you have to factor in the cost of gas going back and forth and insurance and keeping a vehicle on the road. Students are just not able to do it. It's becoming more and more of a problem, and if, and if we have less and less people working, well, that's less money coming into political co- into the province's coffers as well. So, this is this is this is reality, and I've spoken to that many times on, on the, the floor yeah. of the house. This is reality, and we we do want government to hear it. I know I know that they're listening. You know, we are we are hoping that they're going to come forward with some sort of relief uh, with respect to the people of the province that that's so desperately needed, and uh, and we're prepared to uh, to keep that uh, the, that debate going. And I'm. I'm hopeful that the, uh, the premier and the minister will come forward with something because this is this is not it's not it's not an it's not an overnight issue. It's not going to be an overnight solution. However, we need to to grasp it now because you know we have the betterment the health welfare safety and security of all of our constituents are on our shoulders and and that that means a lot to me as a as an mha for district of cape st francis It uh, you know we are listening we're hearing about what people are saying and we're trying to help so but just today a shout out to all the volunteers uh, thank you for all that you do. Please, God, you're able to continue what you do. And uh, and whenever you have an opportunity, please, you know, help someone else. It's, uh, it's important to do so.
1: And just sort of, you know, I mean, it does seem, and I was in the House all week, it does seem government seeming to lean towards something. Initially, it was a fall, you know, we're going to have a look, and then when the heating season ramps up again, we'll look at something. But they seem to be inching. A little bit more towards some relief in the near future as opposed to the long future. And, of course, you know, the premier said the other day that they are trying to find some flexibility in that, if you want to call it punitive, if we lower the gas tax, they slap the carbon on agriculture and food processing or uh, fish processing and and home heat. But they seem to be working on it. Hopefully, Jody, it comes sooner than later because God knows we're all feeling it.
12: We are Brian. I couldn't echo it more. So I just t- thanks for the opportunity. Before I go, just a, uh, a quick shout out to uh, to everyone across the province on behalf of our leader, Mr. Brazel, and the official opposition. Happy Victoria Day. I hope everyone has the opportunity to enjoy the May 2-4 weekend. But the uh, the message I'd like to give is to enjoy it responsibly. So uh, everyone have a great weekend. And thanks for the opportunity, Brian.
1: Well said, Jody Wall. Thanks very much for calling. You have a great weekend. Safe weekend too.
12: You as well, sir. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank
1: you. All right. That is Jody Wall, the uh, MHA, Tory MHA for Cape St. Francis. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back.
6: Weekday mornings from 530 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show.
1: Welcome back to the program. Bruno, you're on the air.
10: Hi. How are you? I'm uh, glad to hear today is uh, International B-Day, and I certainly hope – that you are, are uh, as a province are successful in keeping uh, the varroa mite out of Newfoundland and Labrador. I was a beekeeper for many years and largely as a result of the, the varroa mite uh, here in Nova Scotia on Cape Breton Island where I'm from, I had to give it up. Uh, beekeeping was uh, both a fabulous hobby for me and uh, a pollinator for the orchard that I planted, uh, but. You one realizes that they are a super organism. That the life force exists not in the individual bee, but in the colony as a whole. And I firmly believe that we as humans are also a super organism, uh, and that uh, we are uh, more than our individuals, greater than uh, the sum of individuals. Hmm. Uh, anyway uh, that's
1: uh, no I I, listen I'm glad you mentioned it Uh, you know I mean you speak from experience on that Um, this might I don't I haven't done a lot of in-depth I looked at it today when I knew we had calls coming because there's so much on the go but um, Bruno uh, how just going back to that for one second I know you want to talk about Baden-Nord and I can't wait for that Uh, but just through your experience how long were you a beekeeper
10: oh for 30 or 40 years
1: and so, you know, climate wise, uh, you would say you wouldn't be out of the this. But how easy for, is it for that mite to take hold? And are we doing, you know, I mean, you heard Don earlier. Um, it's, very, it's very
10: easy. And if you see a bee under a, a microscope, it's horrifying that's infected. All of the mites are all over their bodies. There'll be sometimes 100 or more So individual bees- mites on the individual bee's body. And it just. Weakens the colony to the point that they can't successfully overwinter.
1: Well, they're pretty small you know it's probably hard to see it with the naked eye but I mean how do you how can just the average person walking through a field or along a pathway how, how would you know? would you know if you spotted it? the, 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 the effects of it I should say
10: uh, Well no, you'd have to look at the colony and if, if one's experienced one can look through it and see it and if it's seriously infected, you can clearly see the mites on their bodies. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Okay, so, sorry, moving right on to that. And yes, uh, bee day, let's, you know, look after the bees. Go ahead, Baden Norton. Yes.
10: Um, so, uh, Canada made an, a commitment to, uh, by 2030, uh, come to uh, the emissions that we had in mm. 2005. Since then, our federal government bought a pipeline on the West Coast that's going to triple the amount of oil getting to the West Coast. And uh, Stephen Gilbo, former champion of the environmental movement at Greenpeace, my former employer,
1: who just okayed Beardenort or gave the green light,
10: just okayed Beardenort and uh, has become a a super villain. <laughs> 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 what well, we're talking of superorganisms in the environmental movement as a result, de- determining that this is not likely to cause significant adverse environmental effects.
1: So are you saying his principles uh, were compromised?
10: Oh, absolutely. His morals and his principles were completely compromised. And he would have been the last one that I would have expected that from, because he was such a hero to the environmental movement in Quebec. He was loved by everyone across every sector of uh, society. So I'm really surprised that he's thrown it all away uh, for. Uh, God knows what.
1: But he had to know going in with his eyes open that this was going to be an an eventuality or a possibility. They have to walk that line. You know, he's not in there as the head of an environmental organization anymore, the largest one in Quebec. He knows. He had to know going in. Do you think—do you have any confidence that he actually weighed it all? And in the larger context of what we still need to motor the country— you know as far as fuel goes, has to eventually overlap and 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 wind down and then we trans you know we, we transition to the greener future that we all hope and love and hope will eventually arrive but you, you know, I mean, it's easy to say that he's he's thrown it all out, thrown away all his life work, environmentalism. And but he knows he's in that position. And, and maybe it could be argued he has access to a lot more na- you know, information now than he did before. And he sees that it's not just one way, the highway or the environmental way and no other way.
10: Well, I know that Canada has failed to meet every one of its target climate targets. And I'm sure that with what I've just outlined, that they have no chance by 2030 of meeting those targets. And I also agree with you that he knew going into this thing exactly what was lying ahead, and that he would be pressured to do to uh, do these things. And he has buckled. Uh, he has buckled. But uh, climate scientists and environmentalists have opposed the project, saying that it would undermine Canada's goals for reducing our greenhouse gas emissions.
1: Did they get any pass on the on uh, quote-unquote air quotes uh, cleaner oil, saying it's, you know, I mean, it's, if we're going to have to use it, we might as well use ours, because it's well, a- arguably well that, cleaner. That's
10: the excuse, but that only amounts to I think around 15% uh, of the uh, carbon dioxide. Most of it comes when the oil is yeah. burned, of course, and the provincial government keeps denying that in a pattern that's becoming very familiar now.
1: But that still aligns uh, with all other projects that would be producing oil. So, I mean, they're on the same—you have to put them on the same benchmark. Everybody's got to extract it. Everybody's got to transport it. Everybody's got to flare it off. Uh, you know, it's yeah, going to happen somewhere, and the argument is, well, you know—
10: it, it, Yeah, but the problem The world is, needs it. it it's got hap- to happen nowhere. And that kind of uh, logic, uh, it's been clearly documented that places that refuse to move past the old paradigm and move into the new paradigm, in this case, moving away from, aggressively away from fossil fuels, their economies get left behind, which is exactly what's going to happen to Newfoundland and Labrador's economy by that kind of thinking. Um, What they could be doing, for instance, is moving into the future. Um, Just this week, uh, two megawatt floating windmills uh, are on the market for North America. And uh, they could be, gangs of them could be set in the near shore, these floating things that are just tied by anchors to the bottom. And produce two megawatts of power apiece to produce energy. Uh, and like many other places that by 2030 or 2035 are going to have all of their vehicles uh, not fossil fuel, um, Newfoundland and Labrador could lead the country in that direction, moving into the new future. But instead, uh, it's a climate failure. It's, it isn't just a climate failure. It's a failure to imagine and invest in a sustainable energy future.
1: Well, on the, wind, on, on the wind turbines, of course, on the wind farm, at least, you know, we know that the government recently dropped that moratorium on on-land wind farms. Uh, I, I have this vision in my mind of floating windmill, windmills trying to sustain the Atlantic Ocean and the, and the WAP and the LOP from the Atlantic Ocean but I know what can be done it's just in my mind's eye it's just uh, I can see land windmills and people will often say how come you don't have more of them in Newfoundland especially on the West Coast around on Rec House I mean you could profit there but uh, Bruno I appreciate the call I got a few more calls in line If anything you want to wrap up well I uh,
10: just want to mention that uh, the United Nations uh, Law of the Sea allows countries like Canada to uh, develop beyond their 200-mile nautical, nautical limit. But that comes with a catch, that, they, that these uh, countries, the broad margin states like Newfoundland and Canada, must pay royalties on that oil, money which then gets redistributed to developing countries. Uh, so where is that money going to come from? Well. And in a pattern that's become familiar now. The province of Newfoundland and Labrador is saying, not from us. That's the federal government's responsibility. Mm -hmm. So there's another another battle looming between the province of Newfoundland and Labrador and the federal government. If this thing goes ahead on who is going to pay the money to the developing uh, countries that uh, we have signed an international agreement to do, uh, have, I, I haven't I have heard any discussion about that in Newfoundland and Labrador, have you?
1: I, honestly, let me see, where's my brain? Now, you're ringing a bell, and I, I don't want to speak out of, I don't, I can't remember. I, I do know this issue has not been completely mute and silent, but I just can't remember when I heard it. Um, but Bruno, look, I'm sorry, to, I'm getting up to the clock here and news time and breaks, um, I just appreciate the call. Thanks very much. And um, how is it in your neck of woods today? I hope you got the sun like we do.
10: Yes, it's, uh, the sun's just breaking. It must have been my connection to you and Newfoundland.
1: You meet, you're in New Brunswick, right?
10: Uh, no, I'm on Cape Breton Island. Cape right
1: Breton Island, before. right. Sorry, my mistake. Right on. Oh, loves it. Can't wait to get back to Cape Breton. To Celtic, what's it called? The Celtic... Um, Colors Festival, yeah. Well, the Celtic Inn at the top of... Uh, on the, oh, what's the name of that beautiful big old hotel? I was there for a wedding once. Oh yeah, on, uh, I think it's the Celtic yeah, Inn, isn't it? I don't. Yeah, yeah. I'm too lazy to good. Google here. But anyway, enjoy the weekend. Yeah. Enjoy the long weekend. Thanks for the call. Uh, I'm Thank sure look, talk, look, you're looking forward to talking to Patty again real soon.
10: Uh, yeah, I will. And, and I'm will sure Patty's
1: looking talk. forward to that too. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks. All right, Bruno, Dave, where are we going? We're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we're talking greenhouses? Absolutely. Okay, we're taking a break. Coming right back. Welcome back to the program. Let's uh, quickly go to John Maloney, line two. You're on the air. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you?
13: What gravel pit you're going to visit today?
1: <laughs> I haven't decided yet. You know, I just kind of like tour the highway and find one with the most rocks. <laughs>
13: okay i got some questions for you now uh fire away last year there was somebody come on talking about greenhouses there's somebody out around st john's building them
1: um i do recall oh my god i hope you're not gonna ask me for specifics um i'll bet patty would know all about this
13: number for you later on find out uh okay and another one is uh there's a school out around st john's uh saving up coal tabs from right. coke cans and beer cans and whatever.
1: That's right. Uh,
13: I'd like to know the number of that.
1: Okay, we'll get that to you as well. I'm fiddling away here with the computer and trying to see if I can call up some stuff real quick. Um, mm-hmm. you're, if you are calling for answers today to specific questions, but you got the wrong show. <laughs> okay. I only, uh, uh, I'm, I'm half kidding because I'm filling in for Patty today and there's a few technical things that I'm trying to get a handle on. But... Uh, but go ahead. What do you have another question on that one? Another question that I can't answer?
13: <laughs> uh wondering what kind of qualifications you got to have to uh run one of those shows.
1: Oh, wait, I got a number for the pool tabs. And actually he's no, we're getting that now. Go ahead. Sorry about that, John.
13: Yeah. Uh my wife and then went shopping last night when they come home she said, I got all ordered. Now she said for tomorrow. It's going down thirty one uh. cents or something. There's a Facebook group that puts out the numbers the day before.
1: A a, a what? A Facebook group?
13: On Facebook, there's a group there that puts the numbers out the night before.
1: Well, okay, so let's go back a bit. Um, A few weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago now, the pub got pretty ornery and upset about the fact that, uh, you know, they have a bar, so okay, let's go back. When the pub started regulating the price of fuels back in the early 2000s, it became the usual, every week, every Thursday, uh, the numbers had come out, but we wouldn't see them until there was a news release given to the media and to retailers and anyone else who's in the business, But that's embargoed. So the embargo means you cannot report that. The media aren't supposed to report it. No one's supposed to report it. But of course, you know, you have retailers trying to do a solid for friends and their customers. And for a while, you know, it was kind of getting out. And we always had George, God love him, God rest his soul, who could calculate it pretty close. And now we've got Dan Mittag doing the same sort of thing. But the bottom line is the legislation has stipulated that the pub comes out with the prices. But the release and the information can't be released until the day of and that to no end caused great people some great consternation such as yourself such as Jim we had earlier who filled up yesterday and if he'd known he wouldn't have done it till today like a lot of people the problem is we got wrapped for it the media got really wrapped for uh, not really our fault we were given information and you know we've kind of come closer and closer to the line of getting that information out there as best we could a little bit early but, you know, we were dressed down for that, and, uh, and now the government is looking at a full review so that to take the secrecy out of it and hopefully give us a, a reasonable, legitimate heads-up so that it's not like, I think, Dan Mateo, you know, treating us like schoolchildren where, you know, it's all private until the day of. I mean, why is that? We all could have saved a good buck yesterday.
13: Right on. Uh, another thing. Now, with all the gold in Newfoundland that they're finding, uh, they've got some ponds closed because of arsenic in them. right. Proficient? do you know what the names of
1: them the names of all those ponds
13: yeah But I, did, did I, anyone got a listing
1: I don't know if I worked in the department I'd be able to list them all off and that's certainly right at this moment but uh, let's talk about the number of them how many are we talking
13: I don't know I just I know there's one down on the Fair Road I used to fish okay and,
1: uh, I know it's an dead. issue, and, and it's like anything. They're constantly monitoring these levels, but I, off the top of my head, the level of arsenic in specific ponds around the island, boy, that's a, I'm in the wrong job. I'm not, uh, that's beyond my pay grade here and my degree.
13: <laughs> okay, the main reason I called. Now, uh, I've got a brother-in-law that's in a long-term home. Right. And uh, his wife uh, got a call there a couple of weeks ago. Right. Telling them that he was sick and uh, they should come in. And uh, the sister-in-law, she's uh, one foot in the grave, 20% of her heart working, so she can't go in there. So her sister goes in every now and then. And apparently the sister-in-law was told that uh, uh, they're testing them now for COVID. Uh, She said... uh, we don't believe it's COVID, though, because uh, he had COVID last month. And uh, sister-in-law said, what do you mean he had COVID? Nobody reported that to me. And uh, she said, we don't have to report that to you. She said, When well, he got to do not resuscitate. And but, uh, sister-in-law but, looked and <laughs> said to her, she said, what are you talking about? It? DNR. My husband have not got a DNR on him. He said, everybody in this long-term care home has to sign a DNR. Is that true?
1: They don't have to sign it. They're given the option whether or not, uh, you know, to have that in place for their loved one uh, if, unfortunately, they're near end of death or have a condition that could cause that to be an issue. I mean...
13: Yeah, I can understand that, but not everybody should be made to sign a DNR if there's nothing wrong with them.
1: Well, John, what, what I would say to this is, first of all, by the way, we got a number for you on one of the questions you asked. Dave's going to give that to you right off the air after this call. Um, But you know, every individual, I will say this, every individual scenario like this, especially where it's COVID or any individual healthcare issue that involves any individual person, there's so much more to that story and that person then we could ever be able to encompass and put into proper context on this show in a couple of minutes. So I I, 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 you know, I don't know all the intricacies of it. If you get something more informative, more information about that, and confirmation of how that worked, you know, the lines are open all next week. But right now we're up to up to news time. We'll uh, Dave's going to have a quick chat with you off the line. I got to get to news. Is that okay? All right. God love you. Have a great weekend. Okay. That's John Maloney. Um, Right, up to news time. A little bit over. Sorry about that, boys and girls. Uh, Yes, we have the Federal Fisheries Minister, Joyce Murray, right after the break. Off to news. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your requests to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's go to Line 7, Fisheries. Federal Fisheries Minister, Fisheries and Oceans, and the Canadian Coast Guard, Joyce Murray. You are on open line. Go ahead. Well, good morning, Brian. Happy to be on your show. Thank you, Minister. Thanks for making some time, even if it is, I think we have a five-minute window. Is that correct? Uh, Pretty much, yep. (laughs) That's a a small window to talk about a lot of important things in the fishery. I know that this is specific to seals, though. Why don't you just tell me exactly why you're calling today?
14: Well, I'm calling to just let uh, your listeners know about some um, recent announcement which was uh, the Atlantic Seal Science Task Team uh, completed their report on the science around seals on the east coast and so i was out in Cornerbrook, brook uh, newfoundland and minister uh, hutchins is writing to uh, to announce the uh, next steps that i'm taking uh, based on recommendations from the uh, seal science task team
1: so, Minister, um, I think you may be the eighth minister I've dealt with on seals in the past 25 years. So, in a previous life, I was—I um, hosted something, uh, another show of it, Fisheries Broadcast. I hosted for a few years ago in another life on another network. And mm-hmm. you know, if there's one thing that—and I've, uh, you know, I've had these conversations over and over—and you know, I don't want to take away from the good and important work that we're trying to accomplish here, but. Anyone I talk to in the industry asks you know, 30 years, and we're still asking questions about science. 30 years, if it was ever any other industry, and we were still asking questions and needing more science, they would have thrown it away by now. They'd be gone on to some other career. You know, I I mean, are we any closer? And some people who would just say the science is just a way of pushing it down the road and lip service from the federal government. To be perfectly blunt, no offense
14: yes we are further down the road brian uh absolutely and uh we're in our commitment to growing canada's fish and seafood sector which means the sustainability of the stocks um, i want to acknowledge that we know that seals eat fish so there has been some lagging of science for probably various reasons, but may tie into 10 years of a government that didn't validate science as being important and actually did some budget cuts across the board that included a lot of DFO scientists. So we're building back from those days. Um, we acknowledge uh, the importance of this issue by since twenty nineteen the local uh, the local members of parliament from Newfoundland and labrador and i can tell you your your listeners have no louder or prouder champions than the six liberal caucus mps from the province because they have uh, put this on the radar of three ministers to act and we have been doing so and this was a combination of a lot of work by harvesters academics as well as the ministry uh this task team report i didn't t- waste any time uh launching the next step which is a summit to also really focus on the indigenous harvesters perspective in all of this so we things are moving and um, I well I will thank the task team for their work and I am confident that we're on a road to improving the science but also improving the Marketability of seal products,
1: and I think that's the key word. The marketability, of marketability of seal products. The elephant in the room, or on the boat, or out on the ice floe, is, is the pushback. Is the animal rights groups? Is uh, PETA? Is uh, you know in the past Greenpeace? You name it. How are we getting past that barrier?
14: You know, I asked that question of the task team's leader, um, Professor Blackwood, Dr. Blackwood. Mm -hmm. And his view was that when it is clear that this is a science-based harvest, as are our other fisheries, then markets will, will be more amenable to those products. When it appeared to be a harvest that was not for the utilization of the of the of the seals. Um, it was a call. There was real resistance. So we'll be looking to um, ensure that the markets and potential markets know that this is a science-based as with any other fishery, and my goal actually is that we are using 100 percent of a seal uh, in in uh, valuable products that uh, some of which will st- are still under development. But there are many ways that this is uh, this fishery can provide um, processing jobs and other jobs from the various aspects of the of the seal products. So, so when the market that this is a harvest as our other fishery harvests and that the seal is being fully utilized Uh, Mr. Blackwood's view is that that will shift uh, some of the context that was a problem for the fishery uh, in previous
1: decades I think most people would say that the biggest problem is the pressure that these groups apply to the federal government and which gets in the way of those lofty goals that you just mentioned, I'd really love to have more time but I know you've got to go and so do we, so Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray thank you so much for making time for the show today hopefully all those great uh, plans for the fishery will come to fruition
14: well, thanks for the time to chat with your, with your listeners, Brian. And uh, this, uh, Canada's fish and seafood sector is incredibly important. Uh, SEAL is part of it, and it has the full weight of the federal government and the department behind it.
1: Absolutely. Joyce Minister, Fisheries, uh, Minister of Fisheries and Oceans Canada, thank you very much again for your time.
14: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: Okay, that is fisheries, Federal Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray. We are off to a break, and we'll be right back. And welcome back. Uh, let's go right away. Line 6, Terry, you're on the air. Good morning. Morning, sir. What's on your mind?
9: Uh, the fishery, same thing as your previous caller, the minister.
1: I had a feeling. Yes, good segue. Go ahead.
9: Uh, <clears throat> um. Uh, my Brian, Brian is your name, isn't it? Yes, and you know, it's funny, Tara.
1: I was going to say that no one's called me Patty yet, and I was expecting that all morning. So <laughs> God love him. God love everybody. <laughs> I was expecting it, but uh, yes, it is Brian. Go ahead.
9: Okay. Anyway, uh Brian, what I'm calling about by is a, a frustration of mine and and uh, some other fishermen as well, not only me. And it's a frustration that uh, played out last fishing season as well. So this is just uh it's the same old thing just mm-hmm. a different a different fishing season. Uh and the frustration uh, regards the shrimp fishery in shrimp fishing area 6 uh, which is off uh, the southern coast of Labrador and uh, northeast coast of Newfoundland, the yeah. island. Those,
1: those are the prime grounds?
9: Yeah, well, yes. Uh, now, there's other good grounds, of course. But <laughs> prime as they could the, be right now. Yeah, the, the area, shrimp fishing area 6, six is where right? most yeah. of the uh, inshore fleet is permitted to fish, right? Right. Um, and the frustration is this we can't get the season opened uh, so we can go fishing Um, I don't know if you are familiar with last year's going on but uh, we had the same going on last year and the only way we got it open last year is my boat had to go out on a protest fishery she went fishing Mm -hmm. illegally because uh, DFO had not opened the season and she was only departed the wharf a matter of hours before DFO took steps to get it open and they never even charged him with illegal fishing uh, didn't seize his catch, nothing uh, which, we, which is what we were hoping for, to get some attention, to get it open, right? Right. And, you know, they have admitted, uh, the federal
1: fisheries have admitted the issues with the, with, with the assessments every year, and even this year saying, you know, COVID and everything interrupted it. They interrupted science. They made some estimations. But last year was a whole different kettle.
9: Yeah, but this is not uh, this is not about the assessments or the, or the stock status uh, assessments and scientific uh, information of DFO. This has nothing to do with that. This is just get the bloody season open yeah. so we can go fishing. Yeah. Uh, a number of boats there now have got their crab caught. Uh, they've got their shrimp gear on. They've had it on for a while, nice while, ready to go fishing. And we can't fish because DFO will not open the fishery. Why, they, no? they, why not? They, the quotas have been—they came down with their quotas. So my God, it must be close to a month ago. Mm-hmm. The overall pack. Mm-hmm. And the why not is—I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> the why not—I <laughs> was saving a $64 it. Million, sixty-four million dollar question. Yeah. Uh, like I said, this is just a different year. Same thing, different year. Last year. Uh, when we posed the question, it was uh, well. We uh, we won't open it till, D- till the FFAW asked us. When you pose the question to the FFAW, they blame it on DFO. Mm. Wow,
1: <laughs> and that is new. That is not new. What's that? I said, and that is nothing new.
9: Absolutely not. And so, uh, I mean, FFAW has told me they have already written DFO a number of weeks ago asking them to open it. That's what they told me. I don't know if that's true or not, but one of their staff reps told me that. Uh, But up to now, DFO has not opened it, uh, and we can't go fishing. I mean, uh, it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. I've contacted CNL. And they contacted the DFO, and uh, they haven't even replied to his latest email. This first email after many days of procrastination and and resending the email, Ryan Clary did get a reply saying. Uh, basically, the bureau, typical bureaucratic answer well, we'll have it open in due time. We're consulting with the fleet representatives and all this old bullshit, right?
1: But, Terry, due time will probably be too late pretty soon, won't it?
9: Well, see, the way Area 6 shrimp works in late years, where the resource is, is not as strong as it used to be, is if you don't, there's excellent catch rates out there now. Now, you might say, how do you know that if nobody's fishing? I know it because the, the factory freezers are fishing in Area 6 now, and I've been for a while, and they're having excellent catches. Right. And... Uh, so, but as the year goes on, once you get into June month, we often get slubby water. I don't know if you know what that means, but you usually especially broadcast, so I dare say you do. <laughs> I
1: do, but the average listener probably doesn't. You could probably describe it more not, but I, I am yeah. familiar with the term.
9: Yeah, the water gets full yeah. of jill, and yeah. then your trip trowel gets dirty, and it doesn't fish. Of course. Yeah, and and not only that, but the, the the catch rates go down even if the water does not get mm. sloppy, and it becomes uneconomical, especially this year with the huge price of fuel. Mm. And shrimp dragging is a high consumption of fuel fishery. Uh, you know, you you burn several times more uh, quadruple and whatever the term is beyond quadruple, quintuplet more.
1: (laughs) I I can't imagine, Terry, because we know in a good year, it's a challenge, right? Fuel and all the other to get geared up. I can't imagine this year.
9: Yeah, I was going to say, you're saying you burn so much more fuel at shrimp than you do at crab or turbot, which is six-gear fisheries. Your motor is only idling as you're taking back the gear. Nice. But shrimp fishing, I mean, the throttle's to the dash practically the whole time you're dragging. Yeah, yeah. So, Need so. that power. Yep. Yeah, so combine that high fuel consumption with very high diesel prices and a low catch rate and the price is down from what it used to be, there won't be a shrimp fishery if we don't soon get it open.
1: Well, Terry, I've got someone from, uh, I believe, CNL. They've had a news conference this morning. Uh, I think it was more specific to um, to safety regulations after the in the wake of this sinking of the and of course. But um, we've got someone I think Merv's going to come back on and just uh, give us a little… Uh, recap of what happened this morning at their news conference. I got to run. I'm getting close up to the, to the bottom of the hour, and I got another call I want to squeeze
9: in. Anything you want to wrap up with? Well, anyway, yes, I know about the news conference. I was talking to Ryan Clearing earlier. And, right. uh, but uh, yes, I mean, uh, th- I'm hoping somebody from DFO, some bureaucrat from the White Hills and DFO, or somebody from FFAW is listening to this conversation because we want the fishery open, we want to go fishing. As plain as simple as that. I can't make it no simpler than that, you know. So open the GD fishery, by you know, and, and get off your butt syndrome on the white hills and and, and 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 so we can untype in the wharf and go fishing. Loud and
1: clear, Terry. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Safe. You too. Thank you. All right. That's Terry. We're gonna take and uh, who we going? Dave, Angela. Uh, line one. Go ahead. in the air. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Angela. How are you?
5: Not too bad. I wanted to talk to you about the situation that's ongoing regarding uh, how I was dismissed of my um, job as being caregiver for my husband after two years with no answers. Um, If you allow me now, I'll tell you our story. My husband had to go to Toronto for open heart surgery. It was too severe to be done in Newfoundland. Um, Eight days after he had his surgery, he had uh, he lost all the oxygen going to his spinal cord, which made him paralyzed. So um, nine months later, he um, got out of the hospital with uh, 42 hours of home care. Um we had a home care worker for one year and we had several home care workers for one year I must say so when you say forty
1: two hours of home care that's over
5: over seven days over a week okay seven days so okay. Um, after a year um, I was no longer able to get any any home care worker I went through five agencies in the area no one could give me a a worker uh, so um, I had a call from the regional director, uh, director of uh, community services in the area, and they um, allowed me, asked me if I would do the job myself. Um,
1: right, which is, yep, go ahead.
5: Because, uh, um, I mean, because of his uh, advanced care. And because we couldn't get a, a worker. And um, I agreed to it, of course, with a heart and a half.
1: And that's been advocate. you know, the province has been, you know, encouraging that where we can do it.
5: Yeah. Two years later, Friday pass on May the 13th at 4 o'clock in the evening, I received a call from um, the... Um, my case manager the the lady that's filling in for my case manager saying that as of 2 weeks time my job was no
1: longer and so you know try to I, you know I wish we had more time but in the most concise way what was the reason they gave you
5: They cannot give me a reason and that's the issue so I cannot uh, get a reason as to why
1: it wasn't just a no, a no. It's you're cut off. That's it. There's no communication whatsoever with.
5: I can't. I'm after speaking to several departments and putting it out there. No one can't give me an answer. I'm saying why was it approved two years ago and not now? They cannot answer it. <sighs> I'm not getting nowhere with
1: it. It's a, it. You know, it's an odd thing, especially in a situation where there are clear-cut guidelines and rules and eligibility for this sort of thing, where they're encouraging, you know, family members, you know, you can be compensated for that time that you take to care for whoever it may be in home care, because let's just face it, the staffing is an issue, as you've seen, so uh, right. not getting some kind of an explanation seems odd to me. I, I, I can't imagine that a decision was made and they're not willing to give you some kind of yeah
5: i don't know if a decision was made two years ago and it was a wrongful wrong decision made and no one is willing to say that or what the answer is i cannot get any answers i've gone through like i said several departments and um they just keep Pass me, pass me on. pass
1: in the buck, in the buck. Have they told you you're in the right department? Have they even said no? Because God knows, as reporters, we're used to that. You send off a request to one department, and you end up in four later, four emails? No, email.
5: they're, they're just working on it. They don't know wh- where to go from here. And as of...
1: So working I mean, on it means I, there could be a dis- some an explanation coming.
5: Yeah, I, I've... Um, I mean, uh, I've worked on this for one week now. I only have one week and my job is gone. Where do
1: I go? So it's been a week. I, Angela, I'll tell you what. If you can leave uh, your number, and I think we have it, um, you know, we can, I could fire off an email to the appropriate department, and we could see what, if they can probably speed up the process, or at least just an, just an explanation for you. I'm really tight to the break. We've got to go to a break here now, but we have your number, and we'll send off an email and see if we can find out something. Check back in with Patty next week, and let us know if you've gotten any closer. Because once you know the way this works, once, once you, um, you're right, no show Monday, Tuesday, but uh, once you hear this on open line, more often than not it gets a few butts moving around. So we'll, uh, we'll follow up. We have your number. Um, good luck and stay in touch. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much, Angela. All right, off to the break. Weekdays on VOCM. It's Open Line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the
6: conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking.
1: Welcome back to the program, into the home stretch, the speed round, if you will, going to Kim on line three. You're on the air.
15: Hi, good morning. Brian, how are you?
1: Hi, Kim. I'm great. I'm looking out. I can see the sun right through the studio, and I can't wait.
15: That is a bonus this weekend, and that's for sure. You got it. Now, the reason why I'm calling this morning, uh, my mother, who lives in St. John's, has recently been transferred to long-term care. Hmm. I have donated items to a few different organizations. And the reason for my call this morning is I'm looking to donate a fairly new hospital bed.
1: (laughs) Have you contacted John Hagee?
15: No, I haven't. But I have been in contact with several organizations, right. and I cannot seem to find anybody who can use this hospital bed. And it is re- a relatively new bed.
1: Well, that comes as a total shock to me. Um, I was half kidding about John Haggar well, when yeah, you said, but when you said you can't find anyone who wants it, um, where'd you get it?
15: actually it was purchased in st john's it was purchased back january of 2022 so as i said it's been used two months all of two months
1: wow well tom badcock where are you line one i'll bet the hub could use that
15: I am in Cornerbrook, so if I could, if I leave a couple of contact numbers off the air.
1: You go, uh, yep, absolutely.
15: Then that way I can take it from there and hopefully we'll get somebody who could use this bed.
1: Yeah, I know a few weeks ago where Patty was looking for, um, somebody was looking for a way to get a a walker across the island. Okay. um, And uh, that took lickety-split. As a matter of fact, I almost, I tried to do it, but then it... Became a little tanglier, and but uh, I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever, Kim, that you have perked up some ears of people who could really use that today.
15: Wonderful, wonderful. I will be making a trip to St John's right. uh, on uh, actually Sunday, Monday. Sorry. Okay. Uh, so I will be in St John's now. Unfortunately, I cannot have this. I cannot deliver this bit. So no, people no, no, definitely yeah. have to be picked
1: up. No, right? I can appreciate the biggest part of this is the transpo. Um, right. So, you know, I have no doubt. We all have some people in that uh, with those kind of resources that we'll reach out to. I'm sure people are listening, to. We got your numbers. Uh, We'll be in. I also
15: have another number there that I can if I can.
1: Yep. No, Dave, just in my ear here now saying fire all the numbers to me because we're trying to get as many calls in here now before uh, 12 o'clock. So, yeah, give Dave all that information. Okay. Anyone who's been listening, give us a shout, 273-5211 or any other way here. Call us if you we will hook them up.
15: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Have a good weekend.
1: You too, Kim, and thanks so much for the gesture.
15: Thank you.
1: All righty. Kim, yeah, brand new spanking bed, hospital bed there. I'm sure someone can make use of that. And again, not to make light of it, but uh, we all know they're in high demand, whether it's in Eastern Health or over at the Health Sciences or anywhere. Uh, Let's go right ahead. Line four, uh, Clifford Small, MP for Costa Bay, Central Notre Dame, you're on the air. Hello. Mr. Small, how are you?
16: I'm well, how are you?
1: Fine, I'm going to have to ask you, if you can go off speaker, that'd be great.
16: Oh, one second here, I just got to, just give me one second, okay?
1: I can appreciate hands-free is a good thing, but uh, for listener for listener ability, and, which is what this show is all about. Yes, just so
16: one it, second, I'm just trying to figure out this
1: <laughs> It can be a little hard on the, hard on the ears.
16: I know. Um, well, uh, I one mean. Second.
1: Yeah. You got a tech expert there somewhere who can...
16: Yeah, um,
1: IT, give them a shout. Put in a ticket.
16: <laughs> I've hitting that line.
1: I'll tell you what, let's go ahead and see how we go. I mean, if you, yeah, if somewhere along the way. Um, Fire away.
16: So I'm just calling in response to Minister Murray's uh, call that she just made to you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I'm hearing here on the ground in the province is that people in the industry have had enough studies... Enough uh, conferences we need action soon. we need real support for the industry, and where that starts is in lobbying in the eu and in the u s to try to get some amendments made to the bans that they 've made on our on our uh, Pinniped products
6: mm-hmm.
16: and especially with regards to the marine mammal protection act and I think I think where the minister needs to go now is to go to Washington. And the United States is having problems of its own with harp seals and grey seals extending right down into Maine. And on the West Coast, they're actually taking action in Oregon and Washington State. They're removing nuisance seals from rivers and estuaries. And, I mean, I spoke to a guy out in Halls Bay near near Springdale in Green Bay a couple days ago. Watched two seals in the mouth of a salmon river for a full day. (laughs) Go to town going to town slanks are coming out <laughs> yeah. now dfo two years ago removed a piece of le- legislation that we had in place where we could where we could uh, take action against noose nu- and seals just a couple of weeks ago there was a salmon farm in bc that was full of sea lions and 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 a week later i saw the same thing again i said what's going on here they said well we can't touch them we, can, we can't touch them because if we do, we're, we're going to have our, our fish products banned from the U.S. because of Marine Mammal Protection Act. And I, 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 I have to wonder because we have Norway and Iceland who are hunting whales. The, the number two source of seafood for the U.S. market is Norway. The minister needs to go to those Nordic countries and find out how they can get away. With with the the bans that that they that that are on um that are in place for for countries that that are, are are harvesting whales even
1: oh I can tell you how they get away with it it's politics it's the pressure on the EU it's the pressure that certain countries are able to infl- to inflict or or to impress. On the powers that be, you know, it's a, it's a publicity campaign more than anything. The facts are always shouted here. The contradiction and the hypocrisy around the seal industry is just mind-bending. I, As I mentioned to the minister, I, I have some history with this. I think I've gone through seven, seven or eight federal and provincial ministers on this. Always the same, all the science. Uh, whenever it comes, the push comes to shove, it's back to the science, back to the science. And that's 30 years of that. And I'm hearing it from the industry, people who've been in it. No other industry, they know. Would they be able to be going through this cyclical process of not getting anywhere? And in, ultimately, and we all know it, it's the pressure that they, they put on. It's the, the pressure and the influence that these groups have. There's nothing more jarring than blood on ice.
16: Absolutely. And, that, and, and you know, I heard, I heard a reference, uh, Ken McDonald. Ken's yeah. a great guy, and Ken supports what we're trying to do uh, in in FOPO fisheries yeah. uh, in in the in fisheries committee with our, our seal study and, and my bill, and uh, but you know what? This she just mentioned ten years of Harper government did nothing. Well, I'll, I'll take that back a bit further and go back to the 70s and 80s when we were when we were flooded with activists, and who was empowered then? Right. Who let that happen? Now, if the minister wants to upstage my bill and my, and my motion and my study in the fisheries committee, you know what, she could take a bold step right now. She could go out and she could ban ENGOs, and uh, I yeah. heard you mention earlier about activists. as well, mm-hmm. environmental non-government or organizations, uh, activists. Uh, she could ban those groups from operating in Canada if they use images of white coats Anywhere in the world, in their propaga- in their propaganda that that 's misleading the world and they 're still raising money using picture of white coats so
1: yeah, no, and I was just going to say, uh, you know, let's be clear here. It's, it's not just the Liberals, the Tories, every government. Let's, let's remove the, 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 the political stripe from this. This has been time immortal. So, you know, just I, I know what you're saying, and I know the minister was on, and right now you are the opposition, and she is the minister. But I think that could be part of the problem. You know, we're fighting amongst ourselves sometimes over this, using a lot of rhetoric that's getting in the way of progress.
16: I, yes, I agree with you. Uh, but what I what I think is going to happen here is uh, because DFO is so heavily in, infiltrated by activists, that you know a bit of lip service to this will take them to the next election, mm, yeah. and uh, our ecosystem uh, can't wait for the next election and more promises. We need uh, we need work, and it starts with with starting right away to to get into the EU and in the states. And work on getting some uh, some of these trade barriers taken down. And uh, you know, if we can do a good enough job at educating the world about the ecological disaster that we have, yep. I think that's that's our that's our only hope. And uh, and th- this is not about seal harvesting. Listen, I, I've, I've got a I've got a riding that's full of seal
6: harvesters. Yep, you're there.
16: And uh, and like th- this year, they had trouble getting crews. It's not about it's not about the seal hunt anymore it's about a like you said uh, 30 years we've we've had a cod. this is the 30th anniversary of the cod mm-hmm. moratorium our caitlin stocks are are, yep. are a complete complete uh disaster and uh and that's the number yep. one uh food in the food chain and i'm just happy to be able to do my little part mm-hmm. here to put some pressure and bring some awareness to this.
1: Clifford, I, I, I'm really getting up to the clock. I wanted to, I just wanted to ask you really quickly, were you, were you with Pierre Pollier earlier this week in St. John's at the Holiday Inn?
16: Yes, I was.
1: And I just want to ask you, did he know, because I've, I've, I have I've know I wasn't there, but I've seen footage and I know from speaking to reporters who were there, did he know who Jane Crosby was? Yes, he did. Oh, interesting, because I know they had a little bit of fun together and he was sort of uh, encouraging her to be his... Uh, his chaperone, maybe, or to to guide him through the room.
16: Yes, he he he. he uh, I think I think he, I. Well, I said yes, I, yes, I I, I do. I, from what I gather, he must have known, but uh, but you know.
1: It seemed uh, to some that he might not have, which could have been quite I a faux, faux pas, you know, for you the know, grassroots we, Tories here we in had the, the no
16: province. Chats with with Jackson, that so maybe he knew, maybe he didn't. Yeah. But anyway. Yep. To Pyropoliev. Yep. Six weeks ago, he called me up said, Cliff, I want to come to Newfoundland and hunt some seals. I said, yeah, sure. You come on down, you hunt them up, and I'll skin them for you. I made a joke out of it because he doesn't know the regulations that are in place that prevent yep. people from being able to do that. Okay. But when he was hearing in in Grand Falls, Windsor uh, on Sunday, and I was talking to him in the back room, he yep. brought it up again. I said, Pierre, I already told you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: very good Look,
16: come and hunt seals, we'll make it happen you can't do it now
1: <laughs> you got it Clifford F- Small thanks so much for. I, I really got to get to oh, I'm with Dave's going to kill me we're, uh, we're past time thanks for the call enjoy the weekend
16: alright thank you
1: thanks uh, quick break Dave or last call ok quick break and we're right back for the end of the show welcome back to the program this is going to be the speed round absolutely I got three callers to get in before noon let's see what happens Don Connolly you're on here
0: thanks, Brian. Thanks so much for taking my call no and worries. pushing me in here on the last second. Uh, and sorry to rush you through. <laughs> I will make it quick as I can. Um, Brian, I'm, I'm phoning on behalf of the Adult Camp for the Blind uh, Committee. Uh, we've been looking for a nurse to assist us in the running of the Adult Camp for the Blind this hmm. year, uh, August 14th to the 20th at the Lyme Maxim's Camp. Hmm. We can't seem to find one. Uh, and so I'm a ple- pleading the, to the general public, to the to the nurses or semi-retired nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, licensed practical nurses, anybody that has the ability and the uh, the authority to to uh, administer drugs. To probably 12 to 15 uh, legally blind or totally blind individuals that come from different nursing homes to attend this camp, um, we uh, basically, Brian, it, it becomes a bit of a holiday for the nurse. In many respects, they they dispense the medications in the morning, lunch hour, and the evening, and uh, after that, they're free to to uh, enjoy the campus facilities and all that it has to offer. Um, We, the the adult camp for the bond committee, will pay for the person's gas to go and come to camp. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, their accommodations and their meals while at camp, and and, uh, a small stipend of $800 uh, to assist them for that week. Um, But we really need a a registered nurse or licensed practical nurse. uh, somebody that can administer those medications uh, and and hopefully help people if there's a, a medical issue while at the camp.
1: Well, Don, I can only imagine, I know we got it's no secret of shortage of nurses, I can only imagine there's one out there thinking, wow, I wouldn't mind a camp like that as opposed to maybe for North B next week or or maybe, you know, as you said, or as opposed to being on the floor. But look, um, give us the best contact number and then we'll follow up.
0: Yeah, I'm going to give you my cell phone number because that cell phone is with me most of the times. Okay, and then we could d- discuss it with the individual that might be interested. Okay, We'd love to hear from anybody. Fire it's away. Six six nine nine.
1: Six nine nine. Seven one four five. Seven one four five. If you can help out Don uh, at the Maxims camp looking for a nurse for the summer to uh, to help him out. Might be a nice August break. 14th August
9: fourteenth
0: to the twentieth.
1: August fourteenth to the twentieth. Six nine nine seven one four.
0: Guaranteed good weather and a, <laughs> a lovely pool that they have out there and got it and lots of recreational opportunities. Gotta run Don. Relax. I'm really sorry. Gotta so run. Much. Thank you both.
1: Have a great weekend. Okay. Uh, Dave, going right to Dr. Francis Scully on line two.
17: Uh, hello?
1: Dr. Scully, yes, go ahead, you your...
17: Hi, well, I will call Don. I could, uh, I don't know if he'd take a, a licensed uh, physician instead. I could do all the <laughs> so I'll... I will call. I can't do the whole week, but I'd call them. So I, w- I will be calling Don if he's stuck. Well, that'll and, be great. Um, with that poor lady, Angela, I am just wondering, because I know that uh, the Canadian Revenue Agency, uh, actually Canadian law takes the view that uh, caring for a spouse is an intrinsic responsibility, so there are no breaks for those of us mm. who uh, care for a, sp- for a spouse, and I think... Uh, anything I could do to help her because I've been in that situation and it's awful um, and I would do anything else I could to help the poor lady but I'm wondering if that is her problem because the law says that looking after your spouse is your legal responsibility so there is support if you're a sister or you know any other Mm -hmm. relative but not a spouse sure I'm wondering if that's the problem and I'm calling in because I would support Clifford Small the uh I would never be able to hunt anything but I think the seal hunt is very ecological, always and uh, very, you know, done properly it's very ethical and um it and the, is hypocrisy that it's banned and other things are not banned. But you cannot support the seal hunt and also support salmon farming because salmon farming is totally non-ecological and is destroying everything. And
1: there is and that conundrum. Yeah. It all
17: goes back to Norway because, uh, you know, Norway, uh, it, it's Norwegian salmon farming that is not banned in Norway because it is so dangerous. To the environment sure. and so so bad and the last thing is with regards to equinor and bajinor mm. um equinor is a world leader in wind energy on the oceans and i want to give a big sh- shout out to gretchen Fitzgerald the great young newfoundlander mm. who went to savanger and spoke at the equinor agm right. yeah so the thing is our our entire earth has a fever of 1.2 degrees at the moment, which is very bad. If you or I had a fever of 1.2 degrees for years, it would mean there was something very seriously wrong with us. It's a fact. And if we allow that to go up higher, which we will do by going ahead with baby Nor, we are going to destroy all life on the planet because we need oxygen. And two-thirds of our oxygen comes from the algae in the sea. And the algae in the sea are very sensitive to changes in temperature and and acidity and it's burning you know this talk about clean oil is utter rubbish utter rubbish it's burning the oil that releases the carbon dioxide so that's it yeah mm-hmm.
1: thanks <laughs> no loud and clear dr scott i'm so sorry i wish we had more time or no, no,
17: no. I'm fine. I know you are, beautiful day. We can all get out and enjoy it.
1: I couldn't agree more.
17: Thank you, Thank you for taking my call. Thanks, great. everybody. Thanks for all the volunteers and all the people doing all great work, and the lady giving the hospital bed. Beautiful.
1: Well done. Thank well you. summed up. Thank you so much. Have a great yeah, weekend. Thanks.
17: Thank you. Bye.
1: All right. Uh, and we'll go one more call. Paul Toomey with the Eating Disorder Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You are on the air. I got you about a minute, Paul. Okay. Go for it. I it
18: all in. Thanks, Brian, for taking <laughs> my welcome. call and thanks to Dave for for me for Oh, absolutely.
1: Me in Yeoman story. service.
18: I just wanted to end off, before we start the long weekend, by letting people know that we have started our, our drive-in bingo for the third year at the Jack Jackburn Arena parking lot. So it's every Wednesday, once May 24 weekends out of the way, we We'd like to see people... uh Put it put it on their calendars for Wednesday nights. The doors open at six. Bingo starts at seven fifteen. We have a weekly jackpot of fifteen hundred dollars plus an escalating jackpot which uh, started at a thousand dollars and fifty-two numbers or less. No game prize less than one hundred and fifty dollars. We've got fifty-fifty tickets, Nevada tickets, and the Robbins Canteen is open in the building. So uh, we got uh, fifteen weeks left, starting on the eighteenth next mm-hmm. Wednesday, and we'd love to see some big crowds down because. All the money we raise from this bingo goes to support the valuable programs and services we offer to families mm. uh, as they battle an eating disorder within their family unit.
1: Critical, so. critical cause. I couldn't agree more, and I love a bit of bingo. I'm hopes an open line today, but my other gene job is calling bingo, so I'm put, just putting that out there.
18: You're calling bingo? You want to come and
1: call I've always gene? wanted to. I used to go to bingo with mom years ago, and I always wanted to call bingo, but I just kind of kept that secret, but it's out there now, so hey, anyone, yeah. anyone's got an opening let me know.
18: Oh, I got an opening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm there.
18: I'll be talking to you. Absolutely. Time, one last thing, yep. uh, because it is a long weekend, our office is closing today at okay. 1 p.m. But if you want to reach us, info at edfnl.ca. And of course, there's information about our program services on our website, edfnl.ca.
1: Awesome. Paul Toomey with the Eating Disorder Foundation. Thanks a lot. Enjoy Thanks. your weekend. Be safe. Thanks. Thanks,
18: Brian. Have a great weekend.
1: You too, sir. Great show today, people. Thank you all to the Gawlers. Without you, I'm just gabbing away. Enjoy the long weekend. Take it easy. Slow everything down. Be kind. Be nice. Don't park in a fire lane or a blue spot. And don't throw your cigarette butts out the window. Growlers tonight, baby. My daughter Amy and I will be there with bells on and our Growlers jerseys. No show Monday. Patty's back on Tuesday. Till next time. Bye-bye.